The Electric Chair, the horrible, absurd, grim reaper beast. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Electric Chair. My name is Midnight Corey, and I'm bringing you another fantastic episode again this week. Of course, we talk about all kinds of horror stuff and talk to different people about horror, about movies and books and great stuff. Um, I just got to thank you. You know, I'm out on my own, not doing the network thing anymore. It's a huge weight off my shoulders, and I appreciate all the kind words, all the people coming out and telling me that they're so happy to see that I'm just doing my own thing again, and that uh, I'm not restricted, I'm not burdened, I'm not frustrated by, you know, that stuff. And, uh, wow, I had a lot of people contact me this week and last week, and man, it has been overwhelming. Thank you. Thank you very much. Some exciting things. Um, I have a Facebook page now for The Electric Chair, and a lot of people have hooked up with me through that, but I'd like to see a lot more of you on there. So uh, go to facebook.com slash electricchairshow. That's my page. Uh, Give it a like. There's a lot of cool stuff going on there. So, uh, yeah, check it out. Um, Also, of course, my website for The Electric Chair is electricchairshow.com. I was telling you, a lot of people uh, contact me this week and just offer me all kinds of support and, and stuff and so happy to see me. And a lot of people go clear back to the days of like Midnight Podcast, man. And it's like I'm getting back together with the old gang. It's really, really cool. Uh, a couple really, really great things that people have done this week. And again, I'm just blown away by how cool everyone has been. And uh, wow, first of all, Gracie's Poppy, a uh, big contributor to the Midnight Podcast back in the day, um, a great guy. He actually made a video for one of my original songs, you know, on the last podcast I did, uh, just Midnight Corey. Uh, I, I put up an original song every week, and uh, one one of my favorites that I did was a song called Your Face, and uh, it was a lot of fun, and, and uh, Gracie's Poppy went and made a video for this. He, was, he said he was so happy to see that I was back doing the podcast thing again, hooking up with everyone again that uh, he he just put together this video, and it was really, really great of him to do. Um, So, uh, yeah, I'll I'll put a link to that. Uh, He actually, I think, posted that up on the CorpseCast Facebook page. And uh, so, yeah, yeah, but it's up on YouTube as well, and I'll put the link up. But uh, Gracie's Poppy, thank you. Thank you. That meant quite a lot, man. That was great. Um, Also, uh, I've been talking a lot with Johnny T., of course, Johnny T's Cult Films, uh, a great blog, and uh, he does a podcast and everything. And uh, I've, of course, been talking about him, talking with him for years now. And he was really, really cool. He sent me a, a voicemail message. Now, I don't have a voicemail line anymore. You know, back in the day, I had that phone number you could call and leave a message and stuff. Well, that's that's not running anymore. But uh, what Johnny T did is he recorded an MP3 just like on his iPod, and he sent me that. So I encourage people, if you want to leave me uh, some feedback about the show, uh, you have something to say, um, you know, you want to talk about just whatever, uh, feel free to uh, record an MP3 and then uh, get in touch with me, uh, Corey at MidnightCorey.com, or uh, there's a form on uh, the Electric Chair Show website that you can get a hold of me. Uh, of course, uh, you know, MidnightCorey.com is another site where you can get in contact with me. But let me know that you want to send an MP3 or j- just, you know, just send it along, whatever. And I'll be more than happy to play it on the show and uh, respond to you and stuff. I, 
I really love hearing from people. That's a big thing that uh, my podcasts have been about throughout the years. Is I like a lot of participation, and I like to hear from a lot of different people. And you can, you can, you know that. I just, I just like talking with different people, new people, old, old people. I'm not calling any of you old. I'm saying people that I've known for a while. You know, you're, you're not old. I'm old. I'm old. You guys aren't old, so don't worry about it. But anyhow, Johnny T, like I said, sent me in this great uh, voicemail, so let's take a listen to that, and then I got a few things to say. Hey, Midnight Corey, you're back. Johnny T here from the UK, um, just dropping your voicemail in. Say, really glad to see you back, man. As you know, I've uh, been a fan and a follower of all your uh, previous satanic incarnations of shows. Uh, I loved every single one of them. But I must say, with the electric chair guy, you've actually completely blown it out of the water, man. It's just the content and the you know the difference and stuff and everything is really, really good. Not taking the thing away from the previous shows, but the way you've done it and stuff is very, very good, sir. Anyway, I shall stop ass-kissing there. But um, just glad to see you back, man, and um, spoke to you on Facebook, I think it was, about The Walking Dead Season 2. I've just stuck a preview up on, on my blog for number three. Uh, they started to do the on-set videos at the moment, so... That's looking pretty cool. Um, a zombie film I've seen lately is called Osombi, which is based on Osama bin Laden coming back as a zombie. Which it sounds terrible, and obviously the concept of it is like, what the fuck? But, you know, on the whole, it's not too bad a zombie film, really. I'd give it like a 5 or a 6 out of 10 myself, so it's worth checking out. Um, and as regards to anything else, I don't know, man. I've not spoken to you for so long, we've got so much to uh, catch up on. Um, I've now actually got a Skype account, so we'll have to have a Skype. And Emma says hello as well, by the way. So we'll have a, a Skype conversation, man, and we'll sort some out soon. Anyway, keep up the great work, and I shall speak to you soon. Take care, brother. Bye. Johnny T, my man, thank you. I really appreciate that, and uh, I hope to hear from you again. Um, yeah, thank you for posting those uh, Walking Dead Season 3 uh, kind of behind-the-scenes clips and stuff. That was that was really cool. I think I put that up on Twitter. And, of course, uh, I'll, I'll put the link up where everyone can go and, and look at uh, Johnny T's Cult Films uh, and watch those clips. But, uh, yeah, that was that was really, really cool. Uh, Osambi, <laughs> I am so interested in this. Uh, a lot of people have asked me if I've seen this. Do I plan on seeing it? So yeah, and now that uh, you know, you gave a, a fairly decent rating to it. Um, I'll give it a shot. So uh, yeah, I'm interested. So look for that review coming up uh, here very soon. Um, and dude, I would love to get on Skype with you. Um, we definitely got to do something. So uh, let's hook up. Let's uh, review something, or let's just talk. Whatever. Whatever. So, awesome. I hope so. But Johnny T, thanks again. And once again, I encourage everybody, if uh, if you want to send me a voicemail or something, just send along an MP3, and I'll be happy to play it. Now, uh, this episode, like I said, got a lot of great stuff. Um, first of all, I will be talking with a filmmaker out of Texas by the name of Sean Ewart. He runs Right Left Turn Productions, and uh, we had a great time talking about some of his work, and we do some reviews and had a lot of fun talking with Sean and hope to get him back again. So uh, that's coming up. And I have none other but the man, the myth, the legend. Oh, yeah. Vaughn from Motion Picture Massacre, <laughs> friend of mine, a podcaster, a great guy. Uh, but Vaughn came on because we've been talking for so long about reviewing stuff together, him coming on my podcast, and uh, we finally hooked up. 
and we talk Joe D'Amato films. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So that was a lot of fun. Got to thank Vaughn for coming on, and uh, I can't wait for you guys to hear all about that. Now, uh, I think up on Twitter and or Facebook or something this week, I posted that I was going to be talking with another director that uh, was going to be, uh, he, or he, he is, I think, in the process of making this really cool-looking movie. Um, it's this throwback, this 80s horror throwback movie called The Storm. Uh, uh, his name is Tony Wash, and uh, he's from Scotchworthy Productions. And uh, this movie looks really exciting. But like I said, I was going to talk with him this week. Unfortunately, things got delayed. Our schedules just weren't lining up. Tony is a super busy guy. Uh, he, he's a filmmaker, and he's just going all over the place doing what he's doing. So uh, I'm really happy, actually, that he's taking time to actually create and to uh, get his productions going and, and, and produced uh, rather than, you know, uh, cutting time out of his day to talk with me because I want to see him out there making stuff. So that's really cool. But not to, that's not to say that I don't want to talk to him. I really do, and I hope we can uh, get something lined up. But anyhow, this movie is called The Storm. He's making it. He uh, is the co-producer, director, and this film, he describes it as a, it's a feature horror film, Roller Derby Gals versus Aliens. And uh, he has a Kickstarter campaign going on right now to raise some money for it. Um, that link's going to be up in the show notes, of course. And there's also a teaser that they made for it. And you got to see this. You got to see it. So check out the storm, kickstarter.com slash projects slash scotchworthy uh, slash the storm feature. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm not going to attempt to say that link. It's really long, but click on it in the show notes. It'll be there. So, that's what we got this week. Let's get the ball rolling here on the electric chair. When they shave your head and slit your trousers and strap you to your seat. Oh, that seat. 10,000 volts coursing through this poor, frail body with which I am cursed. Well, I welcome to the show right now writer, director, photographer, among many other things, and the man in charge of Right Left Turn Productions, Mr. Sean Ewart. Sean, thanks for joining me, man. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Now, you're the head of Right Left Turn Productions, and uh, it, it's a really cool company. I was checking it out, man. So uh, tell me a little bit about Right Left Turn, about uh, yourself, just uh, being a, a filmmaker, and uh, you, you do an awful lot. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, that, that, the, the Right Left Turn kind of came out of the necessity of you know, trying to put together my own first film, um, it's not necessarily the easiest thing to do. It's a lot easier nowadays that, you know, we're not dealing with film per se where everything's digital now. Um, but right, left turn kind of came out of, I had an idea, uh, for a couple of little short films. And, uh, I met Adam green who directed and wrote, uh, uh hatchet and frozen. Uh, cool. and he, he really kind of kicked my ass into doing something about it. Uh, instead of, uh, you know, instead of just sitting there and yeah, I've got a couple stories and I, I really don't know what I do with them, but he really pushed me forward, uh, to do something about it. And, and I created right left turn productions with the idea that, you know, I, I put together my film. Um, but then also that if I can help other people out, I, I'd love to be able to do that through my own company. Awesome. So what drew you to horror? You know, you're, you're making uh, you know, horror films and, and, you know, why not, eh, why not do like the comedy thing or go kind of mainstream or something like that? Like, what is it about horror that, that really compels you? I, I traced my horror roots back to Michael Jackson's thriller. Yes. Good man. Uh, good man. I when I was, 
Yeah. Now, when I was a little kid, I mean, I saw Thriller for the first time and had nightmares from, you know, being a little kid, had nightmares. Uh, and one of the images just stuck with me to this day. I mean, I, I can see it in my head every time. Um, there's a scene where there's a zombie and they're kind of surrounding Michael Jackson and the girl. And this zombie just opens his mouth and blood just like pours out of his mouth. Oh, yeah. And that image... I, I kind of blame that image for getting me into horror in the first place. That's awesome. I tell so many people that that's so funny to say it because I am the same way because I was, I was probably yeah. like six or seven years old when yeah. I saw that. And it scared the crap out. I mean, I, I literally had to go running out of the room during certain scenes yeah. and kind of peek you know, around the corner. Yeah. And it freaked me out. And I tell so many people that that is one of the things that kickstarted my love for horror. And, Absolutely. Um, Especially, I don't know, um, did you ever see, like, the making of Thriller, that whole video? Yeah, not, not until at least a few years later, but, yeah, I remember watching that and, and, and seeing the way that, you know, they kind of put things together. Um, by that point, I, I had an aunt growing up that she's, I think she's 12 years older than me, so she was, I think I was probably about five, uh, she showed me uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, wow. And scared the hell out of me uh and had nightmares but i mean it, it it really just blossomed uh my love of horror um between that and you know sneaking around the corner when i'm supposed to be in bed my parents are watching twilight zone that all of that stuff kind of combined just it really kind of locked in this is what i want you know this is what i want to do right right Oh, yeah. It, it seems like, you know, it got you young. It got me young, you know, and we're, you know, five, six years old. Yeah. And it, it affects you that much that it, it causes this this great love for the genre oh, throughout yeah. your whole life. Like it, it, it sticks with you, you know, like when you're five years old, you watch like a comedy, you know, you watch something that makes you laugh. And it's not like it really yeah. changes your life and sticks with you. But horror, no, man. No, it's not yeah. Yeah. Horror just just really gets you. So it's a very visceral thing. So that's really, really cool. So what kind of things are you doing at Right Let Turn? Uh, I know you, you uh, one of your latest projects and the thing that you're working on right now and kind of raising some funds for is Sacrament, which mm -hmm. is uh, really, really cool. I watched the trailer and I was reading about it and uh, you have a bunch of uh, screenshots up on your website. So yeah. tell me about Sacrament, man. This thing, this thing looks really crazy. We started, like I said, we started with my first short, and that was Jack's Bad Day. Um, and it, it, it played in six or seven festivals around the country, which it, it just kind of fueled my fire a little bit. Um, it just made me want to do more. Um, and Sacrament, uh, every, everything that I've written to date has come out of a nightmare or a dream. Every, every script that I've started has had that kind of birth, you know. Uh, I wake up at three in the morning and I'm furiously writing things down, uh, trying not to forget. Uh, Sacrament was one of those things that the idea just really hit me uh, in the middle of the night, woke up and I didn't go back to bed. I stayed up for a few hours just trying to make sure I got all the all the ideas out on, onto paper before I forgot them. Um, but the basic idea is you've got a group of 20-somethings uh, heading down to South Padre, Texas, uh, which is a, a fairly big kind of spring break kind of town. Um, it's on the beach, so it's it's the whole, you know, girls gone wild kind of atmosphere. Um, but, uh, you know, they're going to go down to Padre for 
a break and they end up in this town called Middle Spring, uh, which is really run by the preacher in the town. Um, they have a bit of a skewed idea of what religion is supposed to be, uh, and they take the body and blood of Christ quite literally. Yeah, I, I love every people need to go and watch this teaser that you made um, because it's it's I mean it's really really cool it it shows like the cannibalism and and just the just the weirdness you see kids you know you yeah. put you put kids in like a, a cannibal kind <laughs> of setting dude yeah I love it <laughs> we we had a we had a lot of fun shooting that teaser um, one of the the young boy that's in the teaser uh, is actually the son of our effects artist. Um, and we had to bribe him to eat, uh, this, the stuff out of the body cavity. Um, he's a big fan of star Wars. So we bribed him with a star Wars toy and he did it. So beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> oh yeah. But that looks like it's going to be wild. Now that's you're you're planning on making that like a full feature length, uh, film. It will be a feature. Yeah, awesome. it will be a feature. We, uh, we just right now, what we did was put together that teaser to kind of get the idea out to people. This is what we're going to do. Uh, uh, and and when we put it up on Indiegogo, uh, within 24 hours we got it pulled down uh, due to obscenely violent material and overly graphic images. Seriously? Um, yeah. Wow. And 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 we have a we have a, a one of the girls that's acting in the film. She has a seven year old daughter who was present when we filmed, and she said, "Don't don't they understand? It's supposed to be scary." <laughs> yeah. So. Wow. Wow, I didn't I didn't know they were that they were policing it yeah. that much on, on Indiegogo. That's that's interesting. Yeah. It's either it's either that they were policing it that much or somebody was really offended with what they saw. Yeah. So. Yeah, cuz you can't flag stuff on there, I guess. So, yeah, somebody yeah. just it's, it completely doesn't have a sense of humor. <laughs> yeah. Know? Well, but we did we went back through the the teaser and it's, this was not really a teaser. It's actually the extended clip. It's just, uh, six-minute version. Um, we just popped up a. This has been edited for content black box over the screen, but left all the sounds in. So, uh, you know, you hear the you hear bones breaking, you hear all kinds of nasty stuff. You just can't see it. Beautiful. Oh, wow. So it's uh, really cool because you are fundraising through Indiegogo. You know, you're, you're doing a crowdsourcing, and yeah. um, I, that's a great way to go about things, and it's actually a really popular way of raising money for your films nowadays. And I know you, you had a few things to say on your website about it, but uh, what made you go with crowdsourcing as, as opposed to, you know, maybe, you know, pulling in investors more conventionally? The thing is, uh, for the independent filmmaker, it's, it is kind of become the way to go. Um, as long as you've got something out there that people like, um, and, and we've gotten a great response so far. Um, it, it, you have a lot easier time coming across um you know five bucks here ten bucks there it all adds up um and everything that i've done to date i've funded myself um and i this is something that i i refuse to kind of let this thing go the way of well we don't have the budget for that so we can't do that or let's let's just do it cheap i, I want it to be done right for this one um we went with indiegogo over kickstarter for this one uh, mainly because Kickstarter, if you don't meet your goal, you get nothing. Oh yeah. Um, and with Indiegogo, they have a separate option. Granted, they take a bigger chop, chunk out of it, um, but they have the option that you know whatever you make, you make, uh, which I think is only fair. I mean, we're the ones pushing this, um, 
and and to not get anything just didn't seem right uh, with all the work that all, all these people have put into it. So. Yeah, I really like that about Indiegogo as well, um, because uh, you're right. They have kind of two paths that you can you can go. And uh, yeah. so that's uh, that's fantastic. But uh, yeah, the response does look really great. And like I said, based on uh, based on the teaser, you know, people need to go check this out. I'm going to put the link uh, to your website, of course, and to the uh, the Indiegogo link as well. Uh, so people can, can check it out because, yeah, you're, it's the beauty of it is like you can give five bucks. You know, I mean, literally yeah. five bucks. It's, you know, you spend more than that at McDonald's to get something to eat. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's. And it's, the thing is, we're, we're offering something for everything. You know, every level of donation that we're getting, we're trying to offer people something so they feel like they're getting something for their money mm-hmm. um, beyond just the film itself. Um, you know, we've got things from uh, a kind of a shout out on our Facebook page all the way up to investment uh, returns. Uh, for people that want to go in at, at a higher a higher rate, um, but you know, T-shirts and posters and DVDs and that kind of stuff. And with this film, we're actually putting together a soundtrack to go along with it. So it's going to be like a, a whole package. Oh, that's really cool. So you're gonna you're you're really uh, going into the whole original music uh, kind of thing this too. One, we wanted to make sure that we brought in um, the when I when I, again when I when I kind of had this dream. I saw all of these really horrible things happening to music that is supposed to be very uplifting uh, gospel music. Nice. Um, and that's kind of the idea that I have going through this whole thing is, uh, you know, we're going to have these these very recognizable uh, songs played by, you know, some some I, and I want to bring in local Dallas bands and, and have them be on the soundtrack to kind of help them get out there, too. Um, but we're going to have, you know, like I said, a lot of nasty things happening to people listening to some really, you know, like I said, very uplifting music. So we're trying to bring in a nice mix of gospel and gore. I love it. And that's uh, now that you remind me of that, that's what you did in your teaser. And yeah. that just that the difference. And when you juxtapose those two different kinds of things, you got this intense gore that is really intense. Yeah. And then you have this really uplifting, like you said, gospel music that's supposed to you know, be a, a, be a really positive thing. That comparison, man, just sends you yeah. out there. And it's great. And I, I really like that. And it made it very effective. So I got to applaud you for that decision, man. I appreciate that. So. We, uh, we have a musician uh, that lives in, in the house with us here. And he, one night, just sat down and recorded it. And it, it ended up being perfect for the teaser. Um, but I wanted to bring in some recognizable uh, aspects. Um, so... It, to me, this 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 film's really kind of a labor of love for me. I grew up fairly in a, in a fairly religious uh, family, mm-hmm. um, and I as I got older, I just I saw a lot of things that didn't make sense to me, mm-hmm. um, and I I I want people to think about you know the religion and and maybe how their idea may be just slightly different than someone else's, but you know the way we took it went uh, kind of off the deep end, so. Oh yeah, yeah. That uh, that's really interesting, and I like the take. and And you have a little bit of commentary behind it. It's not mindless cannibalism and gore and and insanity. Oh, yeah. Like you're, you're actually you're you're saying something. You got something to say. Absolutely. Yeah. And that to me, if if I'm watching a film and I don't care about your story, if I don't care about your characters, the film it, it, it's boring to me. You mm-hmm. know, I, I need some kind of 
undertone. You know, there has to be something there. There has to be some kind of meat to it. Right, right. You got to be able to chew on something because it can't just be all visual candy. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. So that that's and some of that's nice to look at, but it's it's not. You know, there's no substance to it. Right. Right. And and uh, again, watching your watching the teaser, referring to that again, um, I really like your attention to detail when it came to the gore. Um, yep. Now, when it comes to gore, you know, I, I know you're into, uh, you know, a lot of the slashers and everything. But was was there anything in particular that inspired the the intensity of the gore? Because even like stuff like Nightmare on Elm Street, it's not particularly insanely brutal. And um, no, uh, yeah, so and and even like movies like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you you see very little, and yep. uh, so you you seem to be really uh, concentrating on the the level of detail that you have in your gore and making it look really good. Was there anything in particular, like I said, that that uh, you can kind of trace back and see that you were inspired to do that? Part of that, I, I think, for me, was growing up in the '80s in the the heyday of horror, the, the you know the slasher era. Um, Friday the Thirteenth I, I, is still, I think, one of my favorite films, just just because it's it's one of the first really kind of gory things that I saw, uh, um, and Tom Savini's effects just blew me away. Um, we have a really great uh, effects team and makeup team. Uh, they actually are. Uh, a group of people that run a haunted house here in, in Texas. Um, so they do this on a yearly basis. They're always trying to make things better, trying to make things look more real, more scary. Um, and I wanted to bring kind of a dirty kind of visceral feel to it. Um, I think that a lot of horror now goes way over the top, which is fine. And I, I enjoy that. Uh, evil dead army of darkness, uh, um, uh, <laughs> Brain dead. Just yes. they're so over yeah. the top. I love those films, but for a different reason. Yeah. Um, I, I I watch you know House of Thousand Corpses or uh, Devil's Rejects, and I want to take a shower after the film. Um, mm-hmm. It's to me, it's truly a horror film. Uh, it's horrific. You know, you you don't feel good about anything after you watch the movie. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, yeah, you do have a level of grit. To it, you know, again, based on the teaser, and of course, you know, you're going to be shooting a lot more for the for the proper film. Oh, so, yeah. as far as the teaser goes, it is it's a little bit gritty, you know, a little bit dirty, mm-hmm. and and that's another complaint that I have about like modern horror films. And you mentioned Hatchet, and you know, Hatchet, okay, it's it's a, it's a decent movie, but for me, it was almost like too polished. You know, it looked too good. The lighting was really, really good. The camera movement was always nice and slick. It was crystal clear, you know. And, yep. and for a movie like that, I want, you know, I want to see a little, little dirt there. I don't want every camera movement to be perfect. I don't want the lighting, you know, to be spot on every scene. I, I need some pitch blackness every once in a while and, and something like yeah. that. Do you get what I'm saying? I do, and, and I can see that. Um, I think just listening to Adam talk. Um, he, I think, is coming from kind of the same direction. Um, growing up in the in that era, um, and, and just kind of going to that level and then beyond. Um, the buckets and buckets and buckets of blood in that movie, uh, so so over the top. But oh, yeah. I, I 
laugh my ass off every time I watch it. I love the movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, the, there are a lot of positives to it as, as well. And I oh, wasn't yeah. meaning to bash the movie at all because, I, you know, it's it's insanely gory mm-hmm. in a lot of parts. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah. you know, you got uh, Robert England, Kane Hodder, Tony Todd. I mean, right. huge, huge names. So you can't go sure. wrong. But, uh, right. you know, I, I nitpick because that's what, I, that's what I'm good at. <laughs> you know, you know I, I have a hard time, especially now, uh, making films and being a part of uh, kind of the little film, filmmaker community we have here. Um, it's hard to watch films now and not pick them apart. Um, you know, we, we go to the theater and, and I'm just so disappointed so many times. Just I paid money to watch this and, and I'm not impressed. Yeah. You know? Yeah, because um, when we were emailing back and forth, you said you're a big indie guy. You so much prefer indie film to um, big budget mainstream film, uh, which I can For totally. The most part, yeah, I can I can identify it with that. And uh, now you mentioned the theater. What was the last movie that you went to and saw in the theater that you really really liked? Was there was there one recently? We actually just went to see Cabin in the Woods about um, a week ago, two oh, weeks nice. ago. Um, and uh, I loved it. That's I think that Goss's writing uh, was was amazing. I, I think they did a great job. Um, they did a really nice mix of uh, horror and comedy. I mean, there's there's such a dry level of comedy going through the whole thing. It just it, it cracked me up. That's I've heard nothing but good things about that film. Yeah. And uh, you know, I I uh, you know, I'm married, I have I have a kid, and so my my going out time is like very limited now. And it's yeah. like so I had gotta pick and choose. The last thing that I chose to go see in the theater was actually uh, The Woman in Black. Um, which, which was an, it was excellent. Do you see that? Yeah. I enjoyed that one too. That was actually the probably the the movie we saw in the theater prior to this one. Um, I, I look at, you know, what's playing in the theaters lately and I just I can't see a lot that I I really feel comfortable paying that kind of money for. Yeah. Oh, I know it's it's getting so expensive now, and <laughs> and I don't know if you know about the whole thing that they're doing now because so many of these theaters have invested in 3D. You know, everything yeah. the big 3D is the big shtick now. It's the big thing that everyone wants to do their movies in, and um, yeah. now because of that, 3D isn't the big hit that they yeah. thought it would be. And so they have a ton of money sunk into this. So they're actually raising prices yeah. for like everything. And so it's like yeah. guys, guys like me and you that like going out and, and trying mm-hmm. out a lot of movies. And I don't know if you're a 3d fan, but I, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm not into it. I'd rather just see a, a good movie. Give me a good 2d yeah. movie. Oh, and I'm happy. Absolutely. You know, and I've seen things in 3d that I thought were great films. Yeah. Um, but the eighties have kind of, made their way back around and i remember watching jaws 3d and uh you know the the other stuff in the 80s friday the 13th you know when they did the 3d uh version of that oh yeah Uh, it didn't succeed then and it's not succeeding now you know it's a gimmick it's 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 a gimmick to get people in the seats which is fine if you're you're out there to make the money but you know if you want to put together a good film you've got to have the story first Exactly. You have to be a storyteller first, and Absolutely. and then you know it, the rest will fall into place after that. And you don't have to add gimmicks and and stuff to your movie. Yeah. You don't even you know if you're a good storyteller, you can have a great great horror movie without even tons of gore. 
you know, like we've seen in yep. so many horror movies. And it's all about the storytelling and the atmosphere and how you craft things. And the funny thing about 3D is, you know, we saw it, you know, we're seeing it now. We saw it in the 80s. They saw it in the 50s, you know, with the whole yep. drive-in thing. And, and um, Absolutely. because what happens is the technology advances, you know, so every mm-hmm. every so often the technology gets to the point where they're like, ooh, well, man, we can do 3D now. We can make 3D TVs so people can right, bring this right. into their homes. So, wow, 3D is really going to stick this time. So let's give it another yeah. shot. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, it, to me, I, I don't I don't know. I'm, I, I don't prefer it. And I think we're being punished yeah. now because uh, the 2D prices are going up in theaters uh, to accommodate for, you know, the lack of audience 3d wise and them not being able to recoup a lot of their cost and investing in this and so it's like hollywood mainstream cinema in at least in america right now is really like killing itself yeah you know it's it's well you know it 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 shouldn't cost me forty dollars for us to go out to go to a movie you know and and it does you know it two tickets and a thing of popcorn and a drink you know, you're looking at forty dollars, which is ridiculous. Right. Uh, we have a really great uh, kind of independent theater here uh, in Dallas called the Texas Theater. It's a it's a historic theater. Uh, it's actually where they arrested Lee Harvey Oswald, oh, wow. um, and they have taken up that torch of playing not only films that no one else is going to show, um, but they also play things at reasonable prices. You know, I mean, I can go and see a movie. For five or ten bucks uh, versus going to you know your your bigger theaters and paying just ungodly prices for for a movie that really wasn't worth the money. Yeah, yeah, because that's like we said, you know, ninety percent of the time you walk out pissed off that you yeah. you just paid to see this movie and it sucks. And yeah. So yeah, but indie is where it is, and I, I love that that that's where your heart is. It's the independent yeah. scene because that's that's where it is, and people get filmmaking storytelling horror especially in the indie market and uh yeah. so i i really appreciate that uh, you're part of it i mean you you're you're part of the indie scene you know making these films and and uh, really going out there so um you are part of i think what is driving horror anymore because yeah. that's that's where it is horror is not mainstream um and we get the it's occasional not- cabin in the woods lady woman in black of course but Absolutely. But those are few and far between. They um, are. And, and those are not the, the project. I mean, with the exception of things like that, they're not the projects that, that Hollywood wants to take the chance on. Yeah. Um, you know, they would rather put out a remake or an Americanized version of a great foreign film, which irks me to no end. You know, if, if you want to see the film, watch the original film. You know, there's no reason to Americanize a movie. Just, just watch the foreign film. Amen. And two come to mind when you say that, and it, they they piss me off. I mean, I'm I'm boiling yeah. when I think of these. Two come to mind. The first one is Let the Right One In, um, a brilliant, brilliant yeah. movie. Um, Absolutely. And, and beautifully shot. And beautifully yeah, yeah. shot. Exactly. It's just beautiful to watch. Even if you you turn yeah. the sound off and you, you don't even pay attention to the story, it's just a great experience visually. And, Absolutely. And the other one that I'm thinking of, and it's a zombie movie, but it's Wreck that they made as quarantine and uh that just uh what irks me the most is that i don't think credit is given where it's due in those circumstances 
and we see far inferior movies here in the States. And of course, your mainstream horror fans that maybe, you know, aren't as as uh, rabid about it as you and I, because, you know, I'm, I keep up with like foreign films and independent yeah. films, and I'm, I'm just nuts about that kind of thing. But sure. for your average theater goer that likes horror movies, they're going to only know about Let Me In, you know, and they're yep. going to go out and see it and think that that's, that's a good movie. And they're going to see Quarantine and, and think that's yeah. pretty good, too. Whereas they're totally missing out. And unless they really dive into it and investigate it and yeah. take a deeper interest in where these films came from, they might not even ever know that there were far better movies. You know, even sure. I, I mean, I left out big ones like, uh, you know, The Ring, The Grudge, yeah. movies like that. You know, it's it's rampant anymore. Yeah, I think the general public's just lack of knowledge about what's out there. You know, I mean, I got the chance to see Let the Right One In in the theater, which was amazing. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, that was at the Texas Theater. Uh, that was actually one of the first films they played when they reopened. Um, and it, it was it was an, an experience, you know. It was an amazing film, beautifully shot. Um, and I've gotten to the point anymore that I just, I refuse to support the Americanization of, a, of foreign films, especially something like that. It just came out. You know, they remade it within a year or two of it coming out, which it's just ridiculous. It's, it's ridiculous. Obscene. And I just, yeah. I will, I, I didn't see Let Me In. Everyone that I've talked to has enjoyed it. Uh, they thought it was a good film. I just, I refuse to see it just on that basis. I don't want to support that. I, I think that people would be much better off if they would check out the occasional foreign film. Yeah, sometimes you have to read the dialogue, but you still get the feel of the movie. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm so glad, first off, that you said that you refused to see Let Me In because I'm exactly the same way. I, I will not watch it. Uh, I don't want to support it. I don't care if somebody hands it to me and says, here, watch it. You know, I'm, I'm not going to because I don't want it to spoil the beauty of, of the original film. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and then when you talk about, you know, supporting, you don't want to support these kind of things. You know, money talks. And it is because people are supporting this, they're going to theaters and seeing these movies, they're renting the DVDs, they're buying the DVDs, that that it continues to be done. You yeah. know, it's yeah. they would not do it if there wasn't money to be made there, and it's proven there's that's, a ton of money. There's millions, billions. That's exactly it. it. And, and I think as fans, we have to speak with our wallets. That's the only way that they're going to hear us. Right. So you know, the more people that don't support this stuff, you know, there, there are so many original ideas out there, um, but they're not getting made because we're seeing, you know, remakes of Fright Night. We're seeing, re which is a, I, again, I refuse to see that one because I love the original. Rock and roll. Um, that's another one for me, too. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I can't support that. And some of them, I, I, I'm going to go a little <laughs> off subject and go sci-fi, but I really, I'm having a hard time with Total Recall because... I kind of want to see that, uh, but I love the original, you know? So I have this real kind of hard time to decide, okay, do I really want to give them the money? But it looks pretty good. Yeah, that's, um, I, I can see that because they could be banking on that, man, where they're like, a sure. lot of people love this. They're going to be curious enough that yeah. they're going to go see it. And it's like, for for a guy like you that loves, and I, I love Total Recall too, um, yeah. but that is, that's such a temptation where you're like, well, I want to see what they did with it. So I'll, I'll yes. go see it. And so that's another way they're, they're kind of 
sliming their way sure. into your wallet, you know? It's it's kind of like a train wreck. You know, you, you don't want to look at it, but you kind of have to. Um, I, I I don't know that I'll see it, but, you know, I just, <laughs> I can't, I can't put my money out there and say, yes, please make more of these. Uh, please make more sequels to movies that weren't great in the first place. Uh, please, please, please remake something that I love from the 80s or love from the 90s or from the 60s. Please remake this movie and make it so much better with your CGI blood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, are, <laughs> as far as CG goes. Um, Nothing offends me more than CG blood. That uh, That is music to my ears. So are you tempted? I mean, you've got to be tempted as a filmmaker now. And knowing the relative cleanliness and ease of doing things in post, doing digital effects and, and CG, you know, that, that, that's got to be tempting to you. You know, especially you're making a no. really gory movie. And, not at uh, all. Not at all. Not at all. So you're going to get your hands dirty. You're really going to go in the trenches. Absolutely. The, one of the cheapest things that you can do is make up a bucket of fake blood. And, and for someone to take the time, energy wasted electricity to turn something so cheap and so real into something CG. It just, it, it offends me to my core. Mm. Sticks out like a sore thumb to me. On it, so does, many it does. It does. It doesn't, it doesn't look real. You know, even the, the worst fake blood, I would rather see that than someone's CG blood. Exactly. I would, I, I'm going to bring up Dawn of the Dead, my favorite movie yeah. of all time. Um, uh, Tom Savini, one of his masterpieces of gore. Absolutely. And I would rather see that head explosion um, that takes place in the apartment building. And when you read about yep. it, how they did it, it was like a, the, the plaster mold of actually Franny, um, you know, yep. um, Galen Ross, um, that they kind of made up differently. And he was yep. looking for things to fly out of it, of course, to stuff it with. So when they exploded it with. So what he, he just raided like the catering table, you know, all the food yep. that they had on there and just stuffed it full of whatever they had left over, you yep. know, from, from lunch. And he blew it up. I would much yep. rather see that than some CG animated brains that they try to make Absolutely. look like brain matter and blood and skull bits and everything because Absolutely. It's, it's so much more real to me. Well, and you talk about Dawn of the Dead. I mean, I would rather watch the scene where the zombie's head gets chopped off by the helicopter. It's obvious that he has a, a six head you know, it's huge. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But I would so much rather watch that than, you know, some fake, you know, close up of some brain matter. It, it just, it's not the same, you know? And isn't that weird that Romero has mm -hmm. gone to the CG route in his later films that we see? I don't know if you've seen like Survival of the Dead and, and Diary of the Dead and even Land of the Dead, where CG was a huge, yeah. huge it part. Was. And um, it kind of progressively got worse, I think. Starting with land, it was obvious but acceptable to me. You know, okay, it's still cool. And then, yep. you know, in, in uh, Diary of the Dead, it was more prominent but still okay, okay. And then Survival of the Dead, I'm just like, you son of a bitch. Like, I can't believe you're, you're actually doing this. Like, obvious green screening. I mean, I think they had, they had like a film student's, you know, final project 
as uh, yeah. a, a few of those scenes, you know, and, uh, you know, yeah. no offense to film students or anything, but come on, you're George Romero. You're legendary. Right. I mean, you're, you're the guy who, you know, had Tom Savini at your side during your golden age and you were right. the king right. of just pulling in whatever you could, you know, when, during Dawn of the Dead, it's like Tom Savini would say, Hey, I got a, I got a really cool idea for something I think yeah. I can do. And, you know, I want to, I want to put a machete in this guy's head. Yeah. And Romero's like, well, yeah. you, you think you can pull it off? And he's like, yeah, I think I can. Let me, let me see what I got. And he would literally just like pull things together that he kind of had at his disposal there at the time and make it happen. You know, that that's the beauty of it. And, uh, do you yeah. see yourself like, you would write a script, obviously. I mean, when you're making Sacrament, you're going to have a script and, and um, a lot of things planned out. But uh, yep. I guess how how much are you going to maybe uh, go with things on the fly and maybe change things and say, you know, it might be a little bit cooler if I maybe did this. So let's figure out how to do this. Like, I'm going to do my very best to make this stuff look as real as possible um, with as many practical things as we can. And if I can't do it, um, we may have to change what we're doing. Cause I just, I, I can't see myself doing any CG work in it at all. That's awesome. That's awesome. And it's, it's down to just being resourceful and kind of creative, like right on the spot. And yeah. I can, I can tell just by talking to you and kind of, you know, your how intelligent you are and your level of, of, uh, love for the genre. Like, I think you could pull off some pretty cool things, like just kind of That's- on the fly, you know? Sure. I mean, that's the plan. And, and I've been on some sets lately uh, that have brought in the guys that, you know, these are really close friends of ours that they do really amazing work. Um, they were just working on a, a friend of ours film uh, where they did a gunshot at a very close up uh, range and it looked amazing. Um, and I, I can't I can't say enough good things about these guys. Um, they really have done just great, great work with, with things that, you know, people could really pick up on their own. Awesome. Awesome. And I love it. And that's what inspires me. You know, I'm, uh, I'm involved in video production and stuff. I, I do it more on a commercial, you know, kind yeah. of basis. So I, I, you know, I've dabbled in filmmaking, but it really, those kind of things and you talking about, you know, kind of doing things, just with what you got and, and being creative yeah. and, and being practical about everything. It inspires yeah. me to just want to go out and just try something, you know, and just see what I, I can do. Um, I think everybody should. I mean, if you have that in you that you want it, if you really want to do it, I think everybody should, you know, it, it, we can't get any better if everybody kind of sits back and, and watches the, the remakes and the sequels, you know, you just, you can't, you can't improve. Right. Right. And uh, you're one of the guys going out there and, and just doing it and kind of living your dream. And uh, yeah. you're, you're going about it with the right attitude and you have the right kind of base and the right kind of foundation going on yeah. where uh, I think you're doing it right. And I, I really, really appreciate the work you're doing, man. It's uh, it sounds great. So thanks. Awesome. Well, uh, of course, all these links are going to be up on the website, like I said before, everywhere where people can find out more about you, can find out more about Sacrament and everything, uh, right, left turn, all that stuff. So um, I asked you to pick out a couple movies that uh, we can talk about. And uh, you gave me a a couple lists, and you're like, well, I kind of want to go indie, but here are some big budget ones because I don't know what your audience is. And I'm like, hey, let's let's do one of each. You know, why not? So um, I got to pick one, and you got to pick one. 
uh, from right. the movies that you suggested. So let's go with the indie film here first. Um, yep. We're going with a movie that uh, I've wanted to see for a while because I'm a big zombie fan. And uh, this is George a Zombie Intervention, also known as George's Intervention. Yep. A relatively new film, 2009, uh, directed yep. by J.T. Seaton, which um, you... Do you know JT? I do. Yeah. I do. JT has become a friend of ours. Um, JT submitted uh, George's Intervention to one of the first film festivals that we put on. Um, and at the time, it was still George's Intervention. So I, I know that it's been changed to George as Zombie Intervention, but to me, it's always George's Intervention. Yeah, yeah. And this, um, I had no idea. I, I knew it was a zombie comedy, and I knew it was an indie yeah. film. And uh, it has a great cover, by the way. I love the cover art for it. It does. It does. Yeah. Yeah. It's really great. So I'll I'll try to give just a quick synopsis of what this thing is about. And I don't I don't know if I could summarize it quickly because it's really insane. Yes. And uh, yeah. But we we start off. We have uh, a group of people that hire uh, a, a professional. Um, what do they call her? An, an intervention interventionist or an Inter- um, interventionist? Yeah. Yeah. And. It's uh, it, it's pretty much, you know, you think of an intervention like with somebody with a drug problem, you know, somebody that, right. uh, you know, you, you have to intervene in their lives to get them on the right path. But they're intervening with a friend of theirs who is a zombie. And we're in this universe where zombies are just kind of like a, a regular thing. They're part of society. And you have some zombies that can still function. Um, and you know, sometimes they kind of go off the deep end and they start eating people, but you try to, you know, steer them away from that. But you have other types of zombies here that are mindless and they've gone beyond the point of being able to do anything except want, want to eat people. And, uh, I love actually the very, very beginning of this film before I get into any of it is uh, a, a film strip, like an old school film strip, like you'd see in school. And, uh, it's all about zombies. I really like that. Like that was that was a really effective, you know, it was kind of a little, little novel thing that they put in there yeah. and it kind of educates the viewer as to what kind of universe you're operating in with this film. Mm-hmm. Um, so we see a group of friends, like I said, uh, th- their friend George is a zombie and they're worried about him. So, uh, without his knowledge, of course, they hire this interventionist and right off the bat, they have, they have a few questions about her credibility, um, based on, you know, her, her level of advertising and the way she presents herself. So they all go to George's house and it's a very eclectic, diverse group of friends here. We see all kinds of characters getting together at George's. And, uh, of course, George is taken by surprise. Uh, he has no idea this is going on. He doesn't think, he doesn't think he has a problem at all. And, right. you know, the big thing, of course, is we're drawing a parallel in between this and, and, any other kind of addiction they're afraid that what he's addicted to killing people he's he's addicted and he's going to that point where they don't want zombies to go Um, right and they want zombies to be beneficial members of society and productive members of society yeah right right and uh so it went from a movie that i thought was going to be more dialogue driven and more of a, a focus on the actual intervention Mm-hmm. to like full out insanity yeah, yeah like <laughs> i had no idea and uh by the end of the film i mean he literally people start getting killed and george eats them and uh yep. all along the way 
it, it, there are some twists and turns, and I hate to spoil movies on the podcast because yeah. I really want people to go out and see this and be able to enjoy it to the fullest. And so there are some reveals here that I'm going to try to dance around and and <laughs> things. But George ends up eating a lot of his friends, and um, the, he uh, takes a lot of the bodies down to the basement where he has mm-hmm. some other zombies chained up, and he he keeps a yep. lot of bodies down there. And uh, it just it's it goes down it. it goes to the level of insanity like i said i thought it was going to no. be almost more along the lines i don't know if you ever saw fido um, i did I yeah did. i'm a big fan. yeah and i i was kind of reminded of that um although this d- doesn't have the whole 50s kind of thing going on this is right. set in the present right. day um so i take it you're a big fan of this um just I'm being very you're, you're very close with the filmmaker and the film itself yeah we we met jt um actually just probably two years ago. Um, but he submitted, um, George's intervention to film festival. Uh, it played, uh, some of the actors actually came out, uh, to the film festival from LA. Um, and we got to know people, got to get, you know, a a lot closer with these people that, you know, um, that's another thing with indie film is, is you have a, almost a, a, such an easier way to connect um, because you don't have the, the stigma of a Hollywood film where, oh no, those are, those are, those are actors. We, we, they, we would never be, you know, they would never deign to be in the same room with us. Um, and indie film, everybody's, it's almost a community feeling. Right. Um, but I, we're actually, we're really proud of JT. He got distribution on, uh, George's intervention or George, uh, zombie intervention. And, uh, you know, he brought back Lynn Lowry who, hadn't seen her in, in anything in a long time, and I think she did a great job. <laughs> I think everybody did a great job. They did. This, I, was, I was surprised because I was actually expecting to see one or two like kind of bad performances because, again, it's yeah. an indie thing, and you pull in, sometimes you're pulling in just kind of your friends or just kind of people you yeah. know, sure. and I thought everybody did a great job in this. I, I think... That's a that's really a credit to JT and his storytelling and directing. I, I just I think that overall I, it, it's still after you know I don't know how many times I've seen it. Uh, it's still at towards the top of my list of horror films of all time. I, I love the film. Yeah, it's it's weird for me because uh, I've kind of gotten uh, jaded by the zombie genre in the past. You know, oh, yeah. hell, like you know, fifteen twenty years. Because sure. it's it's been plagued by zombie comedies, and there aren't a lot yeah. of good ones out there. Because I mean, it's very easy to to take the zombie and make it something really goofy and and sure. and really make a, a laughable thing out of. And yeah. I was afraid that this movie was going to go into that um, almost like stupid kind of yeah. kind of yeah. area where I'm like, ah, oh, this is just another one of those stupid zombie comedies, and there are a million out there, but. Sure. But actually, the the comedy was really smart, and yeah. it was it was genuinely funny. I mean, I I was laughing out loud yeah. during some of these parts. It uh, they did it really really well, um, and it was still horrific. There was you know, sure. a lot of blood and violence, and and a lot uh, of blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No kidding. And I love uh, something that it jumped out to me and was obvious right away was like all the homages that you see in here oh, yeah. and there are a million and the most obvious theme is the naming conventions yeah you know yeah. because we see george 
of course, George Romero. We see Bub right at the beginning. There's a there's a short yeah. scene uh, of Bub. Um, and then we see Roger, Ben, Francine, Sarah, Steve, Barbara, Helen, Karen, Tom, Deborah. I mean, things that, you know, yeah. people who are in all of Romero's films. And mm-hmm. uh, so right there, um, I caught that right off the bat because I'm a big Romero junkie. Um, yeah. But also, I thought he was paying homage to Return of the Living Dead in the way that uh, the, oh, yeah. the, the, the zombies had to be killed. Because you had to yep. chop them up into small pieces and burn the bodies. And yeah. that's return right there. Um, and so it, did you catch any other ones? I mean, you, you've seen this more than I have. Is there anything else going that's, on in there that was referring to other movies? I think that, that most of the stuff that I picked up was definitely Romero um, and the return uh, series, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, it was great. And we even had Lloyd Kaufman do a really yeah. quick cameo at the end, which is brilliant. Um, Lloyd, you put Lloyd Kaufman in any movie and it's automatically like awesome. Um, right. And uh, so I really appreciated that. Um, and they even mentioned a few uh, films, of course, night of living dead. The original film is it's playing yeah. on TV at the beginning. And yep. uh, somebody says something about Chud, you know, another <laughs> great movie. And so it's like, they had a lot of cred and, and the filmmakers you know, they, they knew what they were doing. They were obviously yeah. horror fans. JT's obviously yeah. a, a big horror fan. JT's definitely a big horror fan. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I thought overall they worked in the comedy and the gore really well. It, uh, it, oh, yeah. It was very indie, but at the same time, I just I, I enjoyed it. The indie aspect of it. It wasn't a perfect yeah. movie as far as every technical thing they had down to a yeah. T. They, they didn't. It's an indie film. But yeah. uh, I was never taken out of the movie because of any lack of right. production. Do you know what I mean? They, yeah. they did yeah. it right. And uh, so, yeah. I mean, what do you think about this movie overall? I mean, uh, you recommended it to me. It was on your short list of films to talk about. And uh, so if you give this movie a, a rating like 1 to 10, um, you're talking to just some random horror fan. Where would you fall? If if I was talking to a random horror fan, and I wouldn't say this in front of JT, I, I would give it. I would say seven or eight, um, and and just because of you know the small, nicky, tiny little things that you can pick apart, but story wise, I love the film. I, I would give it ten out of ten, you know, mm-hmm. and the 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 effects that he's done, which are you know practical. Um, I give him a 10 out of 10 for everything that he's done. Um, I, I think that he just did a great, great job with this film. And I would suggest this to anybody, whether you're a big horror fan or not. Uh, it's just a, it's a good film. You know, it's fun. You know, I, I, I have friends that are not the biggest horror fans and I'm sometimes not sure why we're friends. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I've, I've had them watch the film and they love it. You know, it, it's, it's something that I think has some cross heal uh it isn't necessarily just horror fans are going to enjoy it i I think it's a great film that says a lot right there that it can speak to more than just like a horror audience you know gore hounds and and things like that um so yeah yeah i really appreciated this again it uh overcame my biases about zombie comedies and uh, i really really enjoyed this and 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 again i'm a huge uh, trauma fan and seeing lloyd kaufman in there i mean that that, yeah that gave it a couple points just on that right. alone. 
Um, and so is JT, how did JT, just on a side note here, how did JT score Lloyd Kaufman? I mean, was that, uh, do you, do you know anything about how they hooked up there or? I, I don't, but from, from what I've heard of Lloyd, if you have a film, he'll be in it. Lloyd's a great guy. I, I've, I've met him at a, a convention. He's, close yeah, to me. no, he's been great. Every time I've met him, uh, yeah. he's actually in, uh, the, the friend of ours uh, that is uh, doing the cinematography on Sacrament uh, did a movie a few years ago called Pot Zombies. I um, saw that movie. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's it's got its detractors. People, some people don't care for it. Uh, the more I watch it, the more I love it. What's well, a trauma? Um, I mean, it's a trauma distributed it, is, it, didn't it? I mean, it's, it's uh, yeah, absolutely. And it is it is a trauma film. Exactly. You know, uh, if you if you enjoy trauma. You'll enjoy Pot Zombies. Um, he's actually working on a sequel to it right now, um, no and they're way. they're kind of in production for Pot Zombies Two. That's really interesting because um, I've done a lot of podcasts over the years, and yeah. I used to do a zombie podcast, and that's all I talked about was zombie movies. So of course, Pot Zombies, you know, came into the rotation, and I watched it and reviewed <laughs> it, and. That guy, and I don't remember uh, what his name is. Uh, what's the name of the, the filmmaker? The director? Yeah. Justin Powers. It's Justin Powers. Justin Powers. He actually emailed me um, yeah. after that episode. He somehow heard that I'd reviewed the movie and everything. And he yeah. emailed me about that because there's a rumor about uh, the actual budget for that film. Like, it's rumored that he's, and I don't even remember, it's been a lot of years now, but uh, it's rumored that he spent so many thousand dollars to make this movie. And he e- he emailed me, and he's like, this is hilarious. I don't know how this got started, but I didn't spend yeah. even a tenth of, of what they're saying. No. You know, this was no. totally just, you know, self-financed. It was, you know, just a labor of love, and I just kind of did yeah. it. And uh, that's hilarious, but uh, Pot Zombies Two is going to be coming out. Yep. That's that's interesting. Pot, it's Pot Zombies Two, more pot, less plot. <laughs> yes. So oh, I love yep. it. I love it. Uh, that's that's great. Um, so anyhow, as far as I would rate this, uh, I'm going to come in really close to your rating. Of course, I have to you know I have to think about you know your general horror fan out there, and of course sure. you know people sure. who want horror not necessarily comedy but if it works in the right combination it's okay but uh, i'll actually give this a seven out of ten because they did so much right uh he paid attention to character development and investing Mm -hmm. in different personalities and i just loved i love so many of the characters and i could go on i mean we could we could talk about this for a long long time um but he did a great job there was a lot of thought put into this and uh Yeah. yeah it really it renewed a little bit of my faith in the independent zombie comedy thing going on because yeah. uh you know there's again not a lot of good ones out there but this is one of them so it's seven out of ten i think yes. you need to seek this film out so thank you again for for suggesting this man absolutely well let's move on to the next one uh the second one this is in kind of your bigger budget list this yep. is one uh you said was one of your favorites from the 80s so uh why don't you go ahead and introduce this one and, and tell us what it's about? This one is uh, it's called American Gothic. Um, and growing up in the 80s, uh, I spent a lot of time in the video store looking through the horror aisle. And, and okay, I, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that. Um, it was always the, the poster art that got me. Um, and the poster art for this is the old... Uh, uh, 
it's the American Gothic uh, uh, painting, but it's done in you know a horror kind of style. Uh, stars Rod Steiger, uh, who is just gonna be Hollywood royalty, yeah. um, and um, oh my God, I forgot her name now. Oh man, I feel terrible now. Um, but she did such a great job. Um, oh yeah, yeah. The story basically is these these kids are uh, kids. They're they're obviously in their twenties, thirties. Um, are going out on a little camping vacation trip, and they end up on this island uh, where the inhabitants of that island are a family. Um, and it, it's just they go through just hell trying to get off of this island, and they have three adult children who. Rod, I'm sorry, Rod Steiger and and uh, that's yeah. gonna bite in the ass later. I can't remember her name. Just but, call them uh, Ma and Pa because that's what they Ma are. Pa. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they have these three adult children who are mentally no older than ten years old, um, but very just cre. And that that's one of the things that kind of draws me to the movie is adults with that that child mentality. Um, and, and almost no understanding of, you know, if I, if I shoot him with this, he's going to die. And you know, it, it, there's just, there's almost no, no remorse to it, you know? Um, and, and I have to say, I kind of drew on this film a little bit for sacrament, just kind of the feeling, the, the, the religious, um, and, and almost kind of patriarchal domination of Rod Steiger, uh, in his character towards the rest of the family you know, he was very much in charge of that ha- that whole family, um, and I kind of have that same feeling coming in with Sacrament, um, where the preacher he is kind of the father of the town, um, and everyone looks to him to how for for the, how they need to act. I was going to bring that up because after seeing the teaser for Sacrament and then seeing this film, uh, yeah. I'm like, oh, wow, he was he was really inspired by this, and this is one of your themes that you'd like to explore. And uh, yeah. so I, I, I made that connection right away. That's really interesting. Um, I, and something I thought of, you know, you think of this, this strong, patriarchal, very overly religious character. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I don't know if you've been watching The Walking Dead or if you're a Walking Dead fan. I am caught up on the comic. I am caught up on the show. Oh. I am kind of itching really bad at the next comic. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, me and you both. Um, so you, I think you know who I'm going to bring up, you know, as as kind of a parallel to all of this. But it's obviously Herschel, you know, yeah. from The Walking Dead, because he's the same kind of guy, very religious and uh, has a lot of has a lot of problems at the same time. And he kind of he, he's very misled and makes his decisions, yeah. you know, based on that. And, and and problems arise because of that. But we see the same kind of character. So I, I couldn't help, especially this guy kind of looks like. The guy playing Herschel in The Walking Dead. He kind of does, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I was, um, I was really reminded of that. In the comic, he, he you definitely see a lot more of uh, the religious side of things. Yes. Um, you see a lot more of his. Uh, he, he's not putting up with blasphemy. He's not putting up with, you know, questioning God in, in the comic. Um, you see less of it in the show, uh, but I don't think you've really gotten into the meat. Of of kind of where the comic has gone, um, but I think there's a lot of stuff coming. Oh yeah, yeah. I just you know off on the Walking Dead. That's uh, 
that's a really weird line they have to walk there when it comes yeah. to translating the comic to TV because there is yeah. it, the comic just goes so much deeper and there's so Absolutely. many other things and uh so actually I I would love to get together with you again and like do like sure. a whole like Walking Dead you know, comic and, and, and TV show yeah. kind of thing where we could like geek out for, I mean, I'm, I'm asking you to spend like some, you know, several hours here because, uh, yeah, I'm good with that. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I hope, I hope so because just saying that you're caught up on the comic and everything, that's, uh, that's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. That's where I am too. And I, I've just wanted to be talking with people about it and not a whole yeah. lot of people that are watching the show are also current with the, with the comic. Yeah. And, and, and- you know that to me, that's just so sad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's so, and, and I almost feel like it's cheating a little bit because I kind of know what's coming up in the show. Yeah. Um, but you know they they've strayed away from the comic enough that I think it's still going to surprise people that have read the comic. Right. Right. I think you're right. Um, that you know I kind of some things are kind of spoiled for me. In a way, sure. you know, I, I kind of knew things were going to happen and I wasn't maybe as surprised when certain things did happen, but, yeah, uh, yeah, you're, you're right. Fair. You're right. They have, they have taken some, some license and, uh, changed it up enough that, uh, you yeah. know, it's, it, it is interesting to me and I like to see where it goes and sure. especially I, I'm going to talk too much about it cause we're, we're talking about right. uh, American Gothic. So this is for a whole nother show and hopefully we can do this again sometime, yeah, but, uh, anyhow, back to American Gothic. Yeah. The overgrown child aspect of it really yeah. weirded me out um, because these people are obviously they're in their forties and fifties they're they're old yeah. and yeah. you know the girl um, what's the girl's name uh, the first one she meet with the baby Fanny Fanny I mean she's convinced I mean she's like my twelfth birthday's coming up yeah and yeah. Yeah. and she has her baby which is this mummified corpse yeah. of like this yeah. you know one month old child and yeah. uh, there's so much weirdness because when they first find the house and the old couple shows up mon pa show up they're actually kind of hospitable pa's a little sure. bit standoffish but ma is more right. than hospitable she sits them down to dinner she feeds everyone and they're yep. like well we don't have a phone but you know there's a boat coming so you know we'll be able to help you out and whatever and and right. Pa's kind of like, you say your prayers, you know, that you, you got to make sure, you know, you, oh, the boys and the girls sleep in separate rooms tonight. And, you know, you got that yeah. whole thing, but it really doesn't reach kind of the over the line area until you meet Fanny and, and the baby and you see what's going on. And uh, yeah. it just gets crazier and crazier from there. Um, I mean, they they I don't know how much I want to give away of this, because, again, I want yeah. people to to see this, and I think a lot of horror fans have seen this because it's it's a movie that's twenty some years old. And like I was sure. talking about before the show, I'm kind of embarrassed to call myself a horror fan and have never <laughs> seen this film because uh, yeah, you know it's a it's a big thing. But uh, yeah, I mean the ending, man, I never saw the ending coming. I really yeah. didn't. Yeah, it's uh, a lot. It's it's a huge twist. It was the twist before uh, M. Night Shyamalan. Yes. Um, which, you know, to me, it, it goes back to the Twilight Zone. It goes back to Hitchcock. I mean, it, it was it was storytelling and, and, you know, 
if they couldn't surprise you in the end, it was almost like they'd failed, you know? Right. right. Yeah. And they, they don't, I don't know. They, you bring up, you know, Shyamalan and, and he almost kind of, he kind of packaged the twist. Yeah. And he, he made yeah. it his shtick and you expected it. You know, you're like, well, okay, I'm going to try to figure out the twist at the end of this movie now. And, yeah. you know, it was almost to the point you expected it. And that's, that's exactly it. You're not you're not paying attention to the film anymore. You're looking for the twist. Yeah, you're trying to figure it out. And you're not invested in the characters and everything. But in this yeah. movie, there is so much weirdness going on throughout the whole thing. That oh, yeah. Once you get to the end, you're like, oh, my God, I, I man, where did this come from? I mean, this is this is crazy, but it makes sense in the grand scheme of things because we start off, yeah. um, you know, the the main girl. Uh, and again, I'm terrible with names. I don't remember what her name was, but she was being let out of the mental hospital because she yeah. had undergone a lot of trauma, a lot of pain because her baby yeah. had died, possibly yeah. because of her neglect. You know, it it, it yeah. drowned in the bathtub because she had to answer the yeah. phone and and you know go to the kitchen and and stuff. Sure. So she took this really hard and was in the mental hospital for a, a long time was finally yeah. let out, and this is kind of her big vacation away, her big right. thing with her friends again. <laughs> and, yeah. wow, wow. It, it ends up as a, as a huge twist. Again, you don't see it coming, but in the grand scheme of things, it, it you know, it makes sense, you know, in yeah. a weird way. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. And, um, it, you know, we look at this baby thing, and to me, I'm, I'm a father, um, and I, I have a, a very young child, and I talk about this a lot, even with the woman in black, because you see children yeah. dying, you know, young yeah. children dying. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I saw the, the mummified baby, and it, yeah. it, as a father, that uh, that strikes me in a different place, um, sure. I think, than when I was before, you know, before I was, uh, uh, you know, had a kid. And yep. and uh, so that really kind of kind of struck me. It it's not like it bothers me, but it hits me in a different place. You know, I, oh, I yeah. still, I still appreciate it though. But uh, yeah. this movie was very, very cool. It was very original and oh, yeah. uh, very quirky. Um, so again, if you have to rate this to any horror fan out there, scale to one to ten, where do you where do you fall? This one, I, I, I'd have to put it more around the six range. Um. There's there's problems with it. Six, yeah, six, yeah. Um, but I, I'm kind of picky about my 80s horror. Um, it's still something I really, I recommend it to people that are really horror fans. Um, as far as, as people that aren't necessarily a great big horror fan, I, I don't know that they'll enjoy it. But I think horror fans will really enjoy the film. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm actually curious as to maybe what some of your negatives were on this. Were there were the things that bothered you and that you kind of docked it? Like uh some you know, I can't I can't make, say Rod Steiger or uh Yvonne DiCarlo. It's Yvonne DiCarlo. Ah, yeah. Ah, now I feel better. Uh, <laughs> um the acting by some of the actors and not even the family. It's it's the ancillary characters that I really had an issue with. You know, mm. um, some of their acting just really turned me off. But the other people in the film just made up for it. Um, the uh, you know, I, I have to rethink it. I, I have to give it at least a seven 
Ooh. Yeah. yeah. It's been a while since I've seen it. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, it really, it, it's it's a horror fan's movie, you know? Yeah. That's the people that I think are going to enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. I agree, and I'm, I'm right there with you. I give it a seven. Um, because I think uh, horror fans should see this. It's a staple of 80s horror. And it's, it's a little bit quirky, and it's a little bit weird, and... Yeah. And uh, it, it's it's a little bit almost tongue in cheek at times with right. with what it's doing, but uh, there are, there's some very intense scenes. I mean, there there's some crazy crazy scenes in there with knitting needles and and uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, you know lighting fire to the boat and and everything. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're shocking things. You know, this this family is they've almost kind of got this little messed up little utopia going. Sure. As dysfunctional sure. as it is. Yeah. And that's, that's again, I mean, I have to kind of look back at this uh, for, for sacrament, you know, mm. you have the, where in this, this kind of in, in American Gothic, you're, you're looking at a family. Um, they didn't really get too much into it, but I don't know that those three were originally their kids. You know, I don't know if maybe they were stolen kids. Um, yeah. Yeah. Good point. But I kind of see Sacrament sort of along the same lines where it's not a family, but it is a family. It's an entire town, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, that is kind of in this almost, like you said, just kind of a skewed utopia, you know? Right, right. And and that's what's so psychological about it because so much of this just, it messes with you. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you never know where it's going. And it, again, this movie took me in so many different places, and, yeah. and I, I had no idea. So another great pick, Sean. Thank you, man, for for suggesting this. And yeah, uh, absolutely. Finally, kind and of. And if you, as a fan of indie horror, something you need to check out is uh, the Bloodshed. Uh, after watching American Gothic, I think you'll really appreciate that one. It's done by another friend of ours. Uh, named Alan Rowe Kelly, uh, who is actually fairly big in the in the independent horror up in the uh, Northeast. Um, but you see some very very uh, nice similarities to American Gothic in Bloodshed. No way! I'm going to check that out. So, uh, yeah. Blood, what uh, is that? That's a like a recent film. Is that uh... Uh, actually? I think it's 2008, 2007. Oh, okay, cool. It's 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 not been out for a long time, but it's it's not brand new. I will definitely check it out. It's uh, yes. If you recommend it, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna go watch it now because <laughs> you know what you're talking about. So, man, it's been great talking to you tonight, and and thank you again for um, for suggesting these films to me. And I'm gonna I'm gonna hold sure. you to this whole Walking Dead thing, man. I hope we can you know do that anytime. Awesome, awesome. Well, Sean, again, all of your links are going to be up in the show notes, and uh, people awesome. are going to be able to find out about you and about Sacrament and about uh, Right Left Turn, and uh, it's a lot of great stuff. So thank you for for taking this time with me tonight, man, and hopefully we can do this again. Perfect. I really appreciate it, Corey. Thank you. Absolutely. Anytime, man. Good night. Good night. When you're in need of a little peace and quiet. She's cured, isn't she? Well, that's a word psychiatry doesn't throw around the way we used to. When you need to forget. I'm thinking of taking on a, a little trip back to the islands. What could be better than a return to the wilds? We had a honeymoon there and she, she hugged me. I can't fix it. 
I think we better check out this island and see what we can find. What could be more inviting than a return to the past? Hey, you guys! Look at this! It's like we just walked into the 1920s. You guys, I think we better take it easy, huh? <laughs> That's all right, children. Been meaning to get rid of them old things anyhow. These are the backwoods where time has a way of standing still. Please don't worry, baby. I'm going to be 12. And I'm going to have a birthday party. But what harm could you come to playing with the children? Get back to the old American way. There will be no devil's play in this house. That child never does finish a chore. Is your friend coming or not? You gotta have patience, son. You should learn to read the good book. He who waits gets. American Gothic. Welcome home. <laughs> You're it! And ain't none of you never gonna get off this island alive! My mom both see that! Rod Steiger, Yvonne DiCarlo, Michael J. Pollard. American Gothic. Everybody's welcome to stay. Pleased to meet you. I'm sure. <laughs> American Gothic. <laughs> well, I have with me right now a man that's been podcasting for a long time. And seriously, he knows more about horror, exploitation, obscure films, all kinds of crazy movies than just about anybody else that I know. So I welcome right now my friend Vaughn from Motion Picture Massacre. Good evening, sir. Hey, Corey. How are you? I'm doing really well. Doing really good. well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You know, can't complain. <laughs> good, good. Motion Picture Massacre, man. You're, you're still rocking it. Like, how long have you been podcasting now? It's been like forever. Um, with this show? Oh, God. I think maybe four years. Yeah. But like, I've been, I've been podcasting since the very beginning of this whole damn fucking, you know, podcasting thing with, you know, different shows and whatnot, being a part of things. Oh, yeah. But as my own show, this has been going on around four years, I think. Wow. Yeah, and it's awesome. I just, not long ago, here, I think within the past month, you talked about one of my favorites. Of course, you know, Fulci is one of my favorites of all time. And uh, I think you just talked about City of the Living Dead yeah. not long ago. And uh, so I, I finally picked up the Blu-ray of that here. And uh, I, haven't, I haven't popped it in yet. I've seen it a million times. You know, I've seen that movie a million times, and I finally okay. got the Blu-ray. And so I just have to find time to watch it. But uh, 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 Yeah, I... I I do a, you know, uh, I've been doing this now the last, this is the last year, and every round Easter, I do a, uh, you know, full retrospective, I pick two films, and um, yeah, I just, I, like, I know everybody talks about City of Living Dead, but it ha I had to talk about it, it's just like, yeah, and like, his whole repertoire is pretty freaking awesome, I mean, even from the comedies he did back in the 50s, all the way up to like, his, like, right near the end with like, Zombie 3, and, you know, uh, Touch of Death, and stuff like that, just, Oh, he's one of my favorite directors of all time. I love it. He was nuts. He was like so diverse. Like just, yeah. he was crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it, it was funny how it worked. Like 
some of the comedy worked into some of his horror, you know, and so it, like it all kind of mixed together for this weird mix that only Fulci could do, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, oh, good stuff, man. Well, you know, we're we're going to talk about a couple movies tonight, and I really appreciate that uh, you came on and talked with me because I've been wanting to do this for a long time, and we've been talking about it. Like, yeah. I, I message you on Twitter every once in a while. I'm like, dude, we're, we're going to talk about these movies at some point. Uh-huh. And uh, you're always like, dude, just say the word, just say the word. And finally, finally, we hook something up. So this is really exciting. But, uh, you know, these are two movies by the infamous Joe D'Amato. Um, and like I was telling you before we started recording, when it comes to Joe D'Amato, I think really you're the only guy that I know that I could seriously have a conversation with about Joe D'Amato. Okay. And, yeah, uh, I, I think I don't, I've never, I've watched a lot of the stuff he's produced. Because, like, like we were saying with Fulci, a lot of the stuff near Fulci, the end of Fulci's life in the late 80s, he produced a lot of it under, you know, assumed names and stuff like that. That's the one thing with, with uh, Dem- even though he used the term, the name D'Amato, it wasn't, like, his real name was, like, Asante, like, Mascarale. Right. So, you know, hardcore Italian name. But he went under a crap load of names. I mean, you know, the two films we're going to talk about, he went under, under two different names as a director for those. Um, you know, yeah, D'Amato's... I don't know. He's he he's another one. He's kind of like creepy, grimy kind of producer, director, Italian directors. You you know, like most of those guys back in the sixties and seventies who got pretty much you know this would this is the genre that's cool. All right, I'll do his most disgusting version of it. I can't think. Of. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was funny because he he was he's just out to make money. You know, yep. he's not out to make something artful or anything like that. He, he's just trying to look where he can make some cash. And that's really it. And he's made a ton of porn. Yeah. Uh, he's really famous for like taking, I guess, movies, you know, like Hollywood movies. And I, I can't think of any, actually, I've never, never seen any of them except porno Holocaust. I did see that one. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, he takes like famous Hollywood movies and he makes like the porn version of them, mm-hmm. and, uh, which is kind of hilarious. So yeah, he's, He's kind of weird, but but he did make a few straight films. And uh, funny enough, the the ones we're going to be talking about tonight don't have any sort of sexual elements in them, really at all. So interesting, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're talking about Anthropophagus, aka Grim Reaper, aka Man Eater, aka about you know a list a thousand names long uh, from 1980. Mm. Yep. And the quote sequel, <laughs> Anthropophagus Two, yeah, uh, which goes <laughs> by absurd and terrible and other things. <laughs> yep. So, um, I've seen. I don't know what versions you have seen um, because for a long time these were kind of hard to get. And yeah, uh, I will, the only I've seen clips of it from like you know, like um, party tapes and stuff like that where they've shown the best parts of that film. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but I've never seen the film intact until that street show, until the street show disc that came out, that two disc disc that came out for it. And then I got to see the thing completely. And I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> like just like when you see those scenes out of context, you're like, wow, that's friggin' really nasty. Yeah. And then when you watch the film, you're like, when are those scenes coming up? Because you're like, oh, I remember what this character looks like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
And that's it's funny because up until just recently, um, I I picked both of these up at like horror conventions throughout yeah. the years, and they were both like VHS transfers, you know, basically bootlegs of the things. So they're really crappy, especially uh, the second one, Anthropophagus Two, was yeah. uh, it was a really bad VHS transfer. It was really grainy and really dark, and you could hardly tell what was going on. Right. And uh, I just lately picked up like the uncut, beautifully clear version of that and uh, i'm glad i did oh yeah and that that's a film that i only read about i never i never saw i never sought out like a bootleg or anything like that for it i just like I, someone's gonna release it someone has to release it like either in our country or in another country and i'll just buy it and uh yeah MYA like maya communications released it here just well, about a year ago yeah and i was just like whoa <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's definitely first day buy like when i saw it like pop up i was like yeah i have to buy that now Oh, yeah, that has yeah. to be mine. It, it's like a whole different movie now, literally. It's, it's not the thing with, with these films with Anthropophagus and Horrible, aka Anthropophagus Two. They were both produced by George Eastman, who was um, kind of a Demato regular. He was in a lot of Demato's films. He wrote a lot of Demato's films. Um, you know, this kind of grisly, very, you know, very, you know, exotic-looking Italian man. You know, black hair. He always had a beard. Um, very scary looking dude. You know, he's he's kind of one of these kind of workman actors. You just see him in the background of films. He usually played bad guys. But so he wrote these two films and he also produced them with D'Amato. And D'Amato directed them under, you know, different names. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with this film, this film's actually, I li- the thing is I like, what I like about this film is that the, the originality of the, of the idea of the film. Yeah. You know, like, we'll get into Horrible in a little bit, but like this film, you know, you get this, like, I just love how the film starts. You got this couple on a beach, the guy sitting there, you know, listening to his tunes, and the chick goes to swim out to a boat, and she just gets pulled underneath the water, and always sees blood flowing back up to the water. And then, like, there's a POV shot of somebody walking from, up the sand, like, from the water into the sand, and with, an, with a cleaver, and then cleaves this guy right in the Yes. <laughs> kills him dead. And, like, the only one who really notices anything's wrong is the dog. Which oh, yeah. Dog, like, yeah, I'm getting the fuck out of here. <laughs> In splits, and then we get introduced to the. Uh, it's four. It's three couples, right? Yeah, it's Tia Farrow, who's a uh, Mia Farrow's sister. Mm-hmm. Which I, she didn't. I don't know. If she did a lot. She really didn't do many films. But I think this is one of her first films. Yeah. Um. Yeah, she didn't do much. She did Zombie Two. Um, oh, she was in. She was only in films for about ten years. For ten, like ten years, from nineteen seventy to nineteen eighty, and this is one of her last films. Yeah, Zombie Two. She was in. Mm-hmm. Um, she was in Manhattan. She was, you know, just a right. she, little pieces here and there. I, and I mostly why she was in acting is because of her sister. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm surprised she didn't do more. I mean, she was she was good. She's an attractive lady, you know, and she she does, I guess, pretty well in this film and Zombie Two. So, yeah, you're right. And uh, the last I heard, she was like a nurse or something like that, like up in like New England or something. Yeah, yeah, doing that. So that's. Uh, Kind of interesting, but uh, but yeah, she was kind of the uh, the one that they picked up. She wasn't originally part of the group vacationing, right? Yeah. She was kind of on her own. She was supposed to meet some people uh, on this uh, Greek island, this remote yeah. Greek island. And uh, so, the thing about this that I I really like right off the bat is the things that I like about a lot of Italian horror movies like, like this and the living dead at Manchester morgue and the grapes of death is like, uh, it's, it's the old country scenery 
and the yeah. architecture and just that charm. Like this, they, they go to this Greek island and this, this village is decaying. You know, it's falling apart. It's centuries old. And uh, there's just something really cool about that. You, you put in the weird music. I mean, there's some some weird kind of like uh, I don't know. It's something you you expect to hear when you go into the Olive Garden or something like. You know what I mean? It really doesn't. Yeah, the mu- the music doesn't really work with the film, but it kind of it, it count it off it it off puts a lot of the film because it's really not when it when it needs to be uh, menacing. It's kind of funny and light, and when it needs to be funny and light, it's weirdly menacing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, but that's kind of like the thing with Damato's films. He, you know, he, like, uh, what the hell? I heard. I, I remember listening to an interview he did where he stated this film was only for the foreign market. Like it was main. It was made strictly for the foreign markets because when it was released in Italy, it flopped. And you know, when it was released here in other countries, it did very well. Mm-hmm. Especially when it was released on VHS, it was. This is like. Um, this is one of the video nasties as well. Um, so it was horrible. So because it's just. Oh my God! What's going on in that film? <laughs> um, yeah, but the the scenery is really great. I love how how the camera just sits on a spot. There's not a lot of movement in the camera. We'll, we'll have somebody running up a hill, mm-hmm. so you can see the like you know it's this very windy, kind of very grass filled hill, and it's just blowing. And you just you wait. You're about you wait for about a half a minute until you see someone's head pop out of the top, and then they're cli- they're running up this hill for no reason, you know, because they're running to try to find their friends. And it's just the camera sits there, and as they come, then the camera starts to start, start to move and kind of collect them in this in the spot. It's it's great, you know. I, I that's what I, another thing, yeah. Like you said, I love the fact that they'll sit on the scenery for the longest time. Romero does that too. Yeah, Romero will sit on a scene like and wait for somebody to show up, and that's you don't get that nowadays. It's always like quick, quick. We need to get this done. You you never get to sit. And look at what's going on in the background before you get into exactly what the characters are doing. Yeah, it's it, he really takes his time with it, you know, and he he appreciates things. And uh, it's not bad filmmaking, you know. Yeah. I, I, a lot of people criticize this and they're like, "Oh, this is they just threw this thing together. It's a really quick production," which I'm sure it was. I'm sure they didn't take oh, yeah. a whole lot of time to make this. It- but, you know, you look at some of the camera angles, some of the shots, the way they blocked a lot of this stuff, and they put they put some thought behind this. Yeah, well, the the Italian kind of film market was the machine. You know, when they found, like I said, when they found something they liked, if it was an action film or a spaghetti western or horror movies, like when zombie movies were big, every director was pretty much put on a zombie film to make it. You know, and they usually used all the same, ca- like, the same crews constantly. So, oh, like... Yeah film they do one thing and the next film they do the next thing and they would usually just circulate the same crew so it would be the same cinematographer the same um, you know the same camera guys just, you know just the director would probably change or the director would go with mm-hmm. you know because that's how they worked they weren't these the directors like in our, in our country they get a pick of what they want or they can choose what they want to do and like other countries like in, in Italy back in the 70s and 80s they were just like is there work Fine, we'll do whatever the hell you want us to do, as long as you know, as long as we get to do what we want. Mm-hmm. And most directors got to do what they felt like, get to put their own stuff in there. You usually rewrote the scripts or got their hands stuck in the scripts or just changed stuff that they felt. You know, most of them, like D'Amato, he produced most of his stuff, so he was able to do whatever the hell he felt like. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. And you mentioned, uh, you know, another good example of that is Zombie Three. You know, yeah. because especially we see the beginning of the movie was Bruno Mattei. 
Mm-hmm. And the end of the movie was Fulci, or it was the other way around. What did Fulci begin or finish that movie? I forget. I think uh, he began it, and then Matei finished it, or it was something like that. Yeah, it's kind of it's it's conflicting back and forth. If you if you listen to certain people, like Matei himself would say that he did like forty percent of it, and Fulci did sixty percent of it, or like supposedly that Fulci did the full film, and when they edited it, that they actually were only getting like a sixty minute film, and they wanted a ninety minute film, so they brought in Matei. Is Fulci already written his, you know, wiped his hands from it? Hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, those, that kind of stuff is really kind of out there. And you really don't know the truth because, well, everybody's practically <laughs> dead. Yeah. Now, you know, all those people, you try to dig up any of those people and it's like they're either dead or they're really close to it. Like, I know, like, D'Amato's been dead for, what, 13 years now? He died in 99. Yeah. Um, and I think George Eastman's still alive, but he's like completely recluse. He just, you know, he doesn't he doesn't act anymore. Yeah, I'm uh, sure. Because he's like an old ass man. <laughs> Although, dude, he could totally do the convention circuit right now. Oh, I, I, yeah, oh yeah. When you occasionally you see like an Italian actor at a convention, it's just like, oh, I don't even like I can't even speak to them because they don't know complete English. They have like their kids <laughs> with them, and they're, you're talking through their child or like their whatever whoever's with them. And it's just complete. It's 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 fun. I mean, I've met yeah. a lot of great, a lot of great Italian actors and, and uh, actresses. But it's just like, like what the hell were you thinking? Sometimes with these people, like we were just talking with Tisa Farrell. Like she's not, she's you know a nurse somewhere, and you know in, a, in like freaking Massachusetts or something like that. If she jumped on like a couple of circuits around here, like just in our area, she'd probably make out very well because sure. there are enough people here that are gluttons for like. Any kind of weird, obscure actress from in a weird, obscure horror movie. Right. Oh, dude, I'd be all over that. I'd be handing, I'd be buying everything at her table. You know. It's just, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So it's 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 amazing, but you're exactly right, and you can tell just by the way that you know. Again, in Zombie Three, they they switch directors, and they're big splits. I mean, you can tell yeah, where you, uh, where there's a difference. Where Fulci ends and Matai begins, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, that's that's a good point, though. They were given free reign over whatever project they were hired for. Yeah. Which, uh, it is really great. So, as uh, as we go through this movie, you know, they discover that the, the Greek island is deserted. They can't find anybody on there. And at first, they're just like, well, you know, they said there wouldn't be a lot of people here. So, yeah. you know, let's, let's walk around and explore a yeah. little bit. And, uh-huh. uh so and this is where it, it it gets it slows down a little bit because we're doing a lot of exploring and there's not yeah. a lot that goes on until it, it is one of the famous screenshots from this film, but it's the blind girl jumping out of the wine vat. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I just rewatched this right before we started that, and I was like, "Holy shit!" I forgot. I forgot because I thought that was a little later on in the movie. Yeah. And it and I, and I know it's coming up, and I'm like, all right, it's got to be coming up. And then she just jumps up with a knife, and I'm like, holy crap, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's again, it's a famous screenshot because it appears like she's covered in blood, and yeah. uh, you know she's all freaked out and wide eyed because she doesn't know what's going on with a knife in her hand, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's a scary part in the film. But yeah. uh, you know she she keeps going off about uh, you know she's really scared because there's a guy going around and he smells like blood, and he's kind of this monster. That's mm-hmm. uh, been killing everybody on on the island, and we have like another woman who's hiding in a house who who kind of steals away one of their cohorts. Yeah, like, she gets noticed like st- standing out of the window, and they 
like two of them decide to run after and try to find where she is and and that kind of starts this whole thing. That's where we also get our our lovely uh, blind girl who yeah, she jumps out, she stabs him in the like I think in the back. Like just nicks him with the blade. Right. But it's just a pretty gnarly gash she's got on his back. But she you know, they're like fine. Like whatever. We'll yeah. just bang this up. No big put her in the bed. Just take her give her a shower, put her in the bed, let her just relax. <laughs> yeah. I mean we'll package him right up. Fine. Yeah, don't worry about it. Just just make yourself comfortable. We'll uh, we'll take care of it. It's a man who smells a blind that don't worry about that. Yeah. Just, Put her in the shower, <laughs> you know, and and so they're searching for this person and the other person, and yeah, we you the the thing with this film is that you never you don't know who she's talking about. You don't even get to see the person until like the last forty five minutes of the film. Mm-hmm. It's you know it's an hour and a half, so you have you know a good hour, you know, a good like forty five minutes to like a, to like fifty minutes before he finally pops up. Right, you know. Yeah. And it is, it's George Eastman, and he just kind of appears. Um, and they, is he actually named, does he have a name in this movie, or is he just kind of the, the, the cannibal, the man-eater, the, the guy? I mean... I, I don't think he has a name. I think it's, I think the only reason why, like, the two films we're talking about tonight are referenced as, you know, sequels is because it's, the characters are very similar. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, he's, I don't, I think on the IMDb they give him a name, but I think it's pretty much, they give him the same one, Nicholas... Nikos uh, Marakolis. Oh, okay. Yeah, just is, for the sake of the yeah, continuity just, between the two, I guess. What out? But no, he's not named. And when you see him for the first time, you're like, "Wow, <laughs> really just freaky." You know, he's 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 like severely skin is completely severely mangled or like overly burned. His his scalp is completely like he's completely bald, except for like the sides of his head, and it's completely burned off and skewered and just. Kind of like really, like he just looks terrible. Like a man who's been stuck in the sun for like months. Yeah, because it's kind of greenish and kind of greenish and gray, musty. Yeah, works and he like his face is completely peeled apart and just ugh. And he's just he he's a brute. You know, he there's nothing to him. You know, he just kind of attacks and that's it. Like, but he doesn't like he doesn't like attack you with completely with a knife like we did see in the first shot. The guy gets clobbered in the face. Like when we first see him, he attacks a guy and, and you know and bites his throat out. Yes, which is just like oh. <laughs> I like how the the character just dies. He doesn't twitch or anything. Like once his throat gets blood out and he just sort of bleeding out, he's dead. He's done. Yeah, done. And he's just staring there, looking at him with the big chunk of uh, flesh in his mouth. You know, it's just oh. <laughs> those looks and Eastman. Eastman's great, man, because he can he, he gives those looks and it's just creepy and it's just weird. You know, yeah, it's. That face going for a while, just not blinking, just with his teeth like, just his teeth showing and not blinking, just looks really fucked up. Oh yeah, yeah, and he doesn't. I don't think he says a single word. No, in this except we see a flashback scene towards yeah. the end that we'll talk about that uh, yeah, yeah. he does talk in. But for the for the events happening at this point in time, he he doesn't speak at all because he he's crazed and he's literally just this crazy cannibal running mm-hmm. around. Eventually, we get down. Um, they find a crypt, you know, they're they're kind of kind of exploring the place. They're following this this weird woman and well, no, actually before the crypt, this woman doesn't last very long in the movie. You know, no. she she shows up a couple times and then there's that great hanging scene. Like all of a sudden they find this uh this wide open room with a staircase and everything in it and oh, there that lady comes yeah. you know, down from the steps <laughs> and she hangs herself in front of them. Just throws herself off the top of this like two story steps 
and yeah, she just and they're like, "Oh, we gotta get her on, get her on." And you know she's dead because when she when she when she hits, like a whole bucket of blood spits out of her mouth. So it's like, yeah, she's not. There's no way you're reviving her. Oh yeah, yeah. But they're able to get her down, and they're kind of freaked out, and so they they're like looking around trying to find things. And yeah, we go down to the. We go down to the uh, the crypts and stuff like that, where we where the husband finally finds his pregnant wife. Yeah, it's like pretty much five seconds after she's been introduced, like she gets dragged off. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Well, they left her on the boat because they they weren't entirely sure what was going on, and she you know she was pregnant. They left her there with one of the other guys, mm-hmm. and um, she goes missing. And that's a whole funny thing in and of itself. If you remember that scene where they're attacked on the boat. Yeah. And uh, the bucket comes back up, and it's just the guy's <laughs> severed head. <laughs> and she's like, oh! And then, like, two seconds later, we see her being dragged off, like, oh, well. Yes. <laughs> she didn't put much of a fight on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, they find this crypt, and it's full of all these human bones and rats, you know, eating all the decomposed corpses. You know, a really disgusting, macabre kind of scene, which, you know, they, it was kind of cool. Yeah. But, um, of course... They find, uh, well, it's just the one guy goes down there and he finds the pregnant girl. And he's like, oh, thank goodness. And then who shows up but the cannibal guy. Uh-huh. And this is where we get the scene that was pretty much solely responsible for putting this film on the video nasties list. Yeah, well, we get a real little introduction to him as to how this all happened. Yeah. You know, we get a little flashback of him when he was more saner. It's him, his wife, and his son. And they're, you know, they've been on this small life raft for probably weeks, and he just splits. And he says they're going to kill the boy so we can feed, so we can eat. And the wife, out of desperation for her son, you know, forces the knife on herself and tells him to eat her, you know, save her child. So, and he, you know, he ends up screaming in anger, but I guess it didn't stop him much after, after she completely died that he ended up eating his wife and going completely bonkers, probably eat his kid too. And landed on this small Greek island where he just slowly but surely destroyed the whole damn town of about 12 people. Well, it's like once you eat your wife and your son, you just might as well eat everybody else, too. I'm so deranged. You know, just... You and so, so after that's done, we get the husband and the, and the pregnant wife are kind of like trying to retreat. And he tries to stab him with a knife, but he ultimately pulls it off his hand and stabs him in the shoulder with it. And then... He, throw, he throws the wife down, pushes her down, and kind of starts choking her out, and then starts feeling around her big stomach. And he just pulls his hand down to her, you know, down into her crotch. And I don't know if he chokes her out and then pulls out the baby. Like, I'm, I'm never really sure with that scene. Like, if she just passes out from, like, the fear of force of being, of that, of that, of that happening to her. But, yeah. Yeah, so he, he forcibly pulls out the baby out of her uterus. Um, and just stares at it for a second and just starts going. Just big old chunk out of it. <laughs> and you're like, oh! <laughs> like when I first got this disc, uh, uh, God, I don't know how many years ago, maybe like five or like maybe like seven years ago when it first came out, I was like, oh my God! <laughs> like I just seen it out of context. I was like, that's freaking awesome. And then when you finally get to see it in the film and you get this, like you're waiting for it. You're like, where the fuck is this going to happen? Like I thought, I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be early. Because... Right. Like, we, like we're talking about, the film takes its time. A lot of people don't like this film because it's slow. Right. Because it's slow to get to the violence. Because it's not like a lot of Italian films where there are violence, you know, there are weird violent scenes like every five, ten minutes to kind of progress the film. This 
slowly takes its time and it kind of drags it. It drags into more like a, these people exploring the the island like the Scooby Doo gang. <laughs> besides, uh, you know, and not listening to the to the uh, to their uh, to the people who are saying, "Yeah, get the hell out, get back on the boat, get out, go away, go away, go away." Right. You know, deaf girls like just get go. You're gonna die. You're gonna die. You're gonna die. And they're like, "Nah, we're fine. You're gonna die. You're gonna. You're gonna. Well, no, we're fine. You're gonna die. You're gonna die. Just go. I can't even see. I know you're gonna die. Just and you know. And what happens? They all. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what's funny about this is again, like I said, this is the scene that put it on the video nasty list yeah. because they took screenshots of this and passed it around Europe, you know, and and the UK, and everyone was like, "Oh my God, they killed this woman, and yeah. he ate this fetus. Look at this. This is proof." And it was called a snuff film. You know, yeah. people thought this was real, which mm-hmm. is, a, a, you know, it's a testament to the <laughs> mindset during the whole Video Nasties era. I mean, come on. It's <laughs> but it was actually, when you read about it, how they actually made this, the fetus was what? Actually a skinned rabbit yeah. that they wrapped in bacon. Mm-hmm. So it was probably actually kind of tasty, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I still don't know about like an uncooked like yeah. animal. I don't, I don't, I don't know, but. I mean, yeah, they make it, he, he progresses, you know, he, the way he holds and everything, it does look like something like a child and still in the, uh, you know, in the uterine sack. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, so it's like, oh, it's just, it's just nasty because you don't expect it. And I think it's the only time I've ever seen that done, like, realistically. Like, I've seen, yeah. I've seen, I've seen people try to do that where they've cut the, you know, they cut the woman's belly open and they pull out the baby and it's like, oh, you know. And you're like, that looks so like, and it's like, like, you know, they pull out a plastic baby doll. Right. Like, Come on. <laughs> yeah. This, this does it the best. You're right. Of any horror mm-hmm. film I've ever seen. Yeah. It's, it's just- 100% believable. And uh, people thought it was real. So I got to applaud D'Amato. And I don't know who the, who the makeup effects guys were on this, but uh, wow. Yeah. It's just awesome. I mean, and most all the all the all the violence in it, like like we were saying, that the guy gets his throat bit out. It looks pretty realistic mm-hmm. because you could see the piece of bone that's sticking out of his throat, and and you know the way the blood just gushes out of his neck. The when the guy gets stabbed in the back, this big gash in his back. It's pretty cool. Um, the at the, the cleaver to the face looks pretty realistic. Right. Like, set for a, like an early eighties, late seventies. Italian film, you know, where they like to use the heart that that bright tempera color um, blood. Oh yeah, which a lot of people don't particularly care for. But I, I don't know. I, I think I like that kind of stuff. I like when it's when a little more surreal. To oh, yeah. a f- it's a, it's a little larger than life. Yeah, because you don't, yeah. you know. I mean, to be honest, like most slasher films, they try to be as realistic as possible. When, like, to be honest, uh, it's not going to happen like that. Yeah. You know, you're gonna get, you're gonna die from like your neighbor's kid. You know, like they say, ninety nine percent of the time that you when you when you get when somebody gets murdered, it's by the hands of a loved one or something like that. So you know, it's not gonna be some hooded maniac roaming down the street. Yeah. And with like Italian with Italian slashers and Italian genre, they just kind of ramp it up. Like, yeah, this is a big hulking, bald headed, you know, sun encrusted madman running around killing people with his teeth. It's you know it's like yeah that that'll never happen yeah there are weirdos in the in this world but they're not gonna go ballistic and pull your uh, your still alive fetus out of your gut you know it's, oh, yeah that, that kind of dealt the fun in these films yeah a, 
kind of, I don't know, as the last 10, 15 years has gone by, you just kind of suck the hell out of it. You know, I don't know. I can't just, I don't know. Yeah, no, you're dead on. And they are playing on this whole crazy, fantastic scenario going on in the first place. Mm-hmm. So as long as you're playing on that, I mean, this crazed cannibal guy going on, <laughs> you know, clearing out an entire island by eating them. <laughs> I yeah. mean, come on, you know, let, let's have some fun with this in the sense of some some fun movie gore and crazy brutality. Yeah. And, you know, so much so much of the the gore that we see. And you're right. It, it, it strives to be so realistic that it's almost like ho-hum. You know, right. it, there's nothing special about it. There's nothing larger than life. And uh, you're, you're, you're dead on with that. And uh, I don't mind it either. You know, a lot of people, they complain about Dawn of the Dead mm-hmm. uh, just for that reason, where they're like, oh, it's obvious. That's just like red paint shooting out of the, yeah. you know, some tube somewhere. And I'm like, I, I totally buy it. And mm-hmm. I, I'm totally invested in that because it's, again, this whole thing is the whole zombie apocalypse thing is just beyond belief and you know it's we're in the world of make-believe here so let's have some fun with it while we're yeah. at it and and take it as far as it'll go <laughs> you know yeah come on so no but you're you're exactly right it, it's just good stuff and this they, they just did it right and you won't find a better you won't find a better uh cannibal abortion scene than than you will in here so um, but yeah, all the scenes of violence in here are great. Um, we see a throat cutting. Yeah. Um, uh, Carol gets her throat cut um, right after this, actually. And then uh, the cannibal is kind of chasing down the rest of the group after mm. this. And uh, it, the, um, uh, the the blind girl and uh, Tisa Farrow, and I'm terrible with character names, so I just have to kind of refer to them either as their, you know, their real names or the, you know, that blind girl or whatever. Yeah, uh, I don't <laughs> I don't, the thing is that I don't even think their names even referenced that many times. Like no. in the beginning, they do kind of talk to each other, but after a while, it's just like, all right, if you don't know their names, it's you know, Tisa Farrow, the blind girl. I mean, like, it's it's really not that crazy to like to not know their names. I mean, yeah. So you get you know, Tisa Farrow is getting chased around. Um, I like how he, I like how he snares her in that scene near the end when he kind of gra- when she goes looking down this kind of well and he just grabs her and brings her down with him but before that we have the attic scene which is actually a great scene (laughs) um with the blind girl because they lock themselves up in the attic and they think they're safe because he can't get in through the hatch they've secured the hatch so what does he do he comes through the roof (laughs) he punches (laughs) through the roof yes and he grabs the blind girl by the hair pulls her head up through the roof which is now all jagged and everything because he he beat you know he he bashed it out yeah cutting her all up to hell when she's getting dragged through yeah exactly and uh yeah she uh he he ends up biting her throat you know takes a big chunk out of her throat too (laughs) and uh of course now she's dead but uh, tisa you know down below ends up stabbing him and he falls off of the roof yeah. And this is kind of where it's, you know, it's veering into the little, you know, bit, you know, is this guy immortal? I mean, is he one of these, you know, slasher kind of um, of uh, of guys that we're seeing that can't be killed and you got to do something special or whatever? Because he falls off the friggin' roof. Yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> uh-huh. come on. But uh, and that's where, again, uh, she goes back down and we see this well scene. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is that's a great scene, too, because she glances down into the well. 
And he pulls her down. Yeah, he pulls her down, and wherever he is to be able to have that kind of leverage, he, he must be on the ladder or whatever that's yeah. inside to do that. He jumps up, grabs her, pulls her down, and as she's going to fall down, I guess to be with him, her hand gets snagged on a piece of str- on a piece of rope. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, it, it cuts her wrist pretty bad, but she's able to get back up. Um, and he also gets back up, which is you know not fucking great. And then another great scene, which is you know on the poster, it's on the box for the street show. It's the main, it's the main, it's the main uh, photo on the street show box that somebody did as a painting. He gets stabbed in the gut by one of the surviving guys, which kind of he just kind of disappears. Like yeah. He goes, yeah, and we don't know where he goes. We don't, you know, he just shows up at the last second, and he stabs the uh, the anthropophagus right in the gut, and just his guts start spewing out like crazy. Yeah, and, and that's a that's a great scene. He's just bubbling out, just his small intestine, <laughs> his large intestine, all of it just coming out, and he sees it and he pulls it up to his fists, and he just starts chewing. He just starts chewing on his own guts. And he's like falls to his knees and he's just gnawing on his guts. And that's pretty much how the film ends. You know, that like, is so brilliant, dude. He eats his own guts as yeah. his last dying thing that he does. <laughs> Have you ever seen that anywhere? No. no, usually he would be killed off and, you know, they'd be talking about how the moral or whatever. It's like, whatever. He's just, he's eating himself. Look at him. Look at him. He's so friggin', he's so thir- thirsty for human flesh that he'll just devour himself he doesn't even care you know it's just oh i'm like what <laughs> that's awesome he's just chewing on him and they're just staring at him like what the fuck <laughs> like <laughs> oh yeah and it ends the end that's it that's and it goes right to black yep roll credits uh-huh. i'm sorry this is a beautiful movie yeah and and a lot of short you know it's not perfect no yeah, no yeah, by any means but I mean, man, I could, I could watch this thing, and I, I just wish there was a lot more movies like this. Yeah. And uh, but there aren't. So, <laughs> dude, would you recommend this? Um, where where would you rate this on a scale of one to ten? Where like it would be like an eight, eight and a half, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd be high. Oh yeah. I, I would like if you're a fan of all this stuff. Like, yeah, it's definitely something worth checking out. You know. Oh, absolutely. I give it a nine. Yeah, definitely. Hands down. I mean, I, I just, uh, oh, no movie out there has the balls that this thing does. Oh. And uh, I don't know what to say. I mean, <laughs> you, you literally, you, you don't know what to say after you've seen this movie. And how many movies can do that to you? Yeah, I, 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 I really enjoy it. I like how they keep the look of the monster. Even though if you buy any release of the film, they brilliantly show you what he looks like. You know, yeah. and that's that's fine. I mean, but if you watch the film Sight Unseen, if somebody just gives you a disc and you just watch it, you won't know. Like, that's the great thing about it. Like, you just you won't see him for the first half of the film. And when you get introduced to him, it's just like, OK, who the fuck is this? <laughs> and it's not until like the last 20 minutes when you get like a flashback of who this guy really what happened to this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't really explain after. That's what I love about it. They give you this weird flashback. But they don't explain. They don't explain how he got on the island. They don't explain how he went completely berserk and killed everybody on the island except for like two people. <laughs> and it's just like, what the fuck? Well, that's a, that's the beauty of it because first of all, they give just enough backstory. Yeah. That you're okay with it, and you still have some questions in your mind. You're you're not exactly sure what's going on, but that's okay. And then I think if somebody tried to make this kind of movie nowadays. 
they would try to, I think, explain it a little bit more. And then they would be tempted to do exactly what you said, which yeah. was like go into the whole kind of clearing out of the village. Yeah, well, you know. I know that Andreas Snaz, um, director of the Violent Shit films, um, remade this in like an homage, I guess you can say, as Anthropophagus 2000. Yeah. In 99. I've never seen it because it's never been available here. Like his films are, are very hard to find here if they're not badly uh, dubbed. Um, I think he, he did that with Zombie as well because his, his two favorite directors of all time were Fulci and Zomato. Uh, so, oh, uh, wow. yeah, so he, he, he did that too. And there's a version of that out on DVD somewhere, but it's got a really, really bad dub. The uh, zombie version, like most of his films were released in this country, got really, really bad dubs. I was going to ask you about that, um, uh, that Anthropophagus 2000, because that's another one I picked up at a con. I actually found it um, as a really bad dub, and I have seen it. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's pretty bad. But I mean, it's, it's pretty much just like it's a shot for shot remake, practically. Yeah, and they try to be there. There's more sexual elements to it, and they try to ramp up the the visceral brutality of everything. That's um, kind of Schnoz's thing, though. Yeah. If you've ever watched the violent shit films, he kind of tries to be as violent as he, you know, be as brutal as possible. Even if it doesn't even meet, need, need it, he'll just be as, you know, he just wants to put as much gore and show off, the, show off his effects as best as possible because he does it all himself. Um, yeah. But yeah, I've never been able to find, I've never been able to see it. I've only seen the violent shit films of his. Yeah, I'll have to send this out to you then maybe and uh, and see what you think because it's uh I mean, it's worth seeing just for the sake of seeing how this guy remade Anthropophagus. But uh, that's <laughs> yeah. about it. As you know, it's a curiosity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all. But uh, just a year later, now uh, we see a, uh, a sequel to this. I don't know. Um, Joe D'Amato goes under the name uh, Peter Newton. Yeah. For this, which threw me off because I'm watching the movie the first time I watched this. I'm like, oh, I can't wait. This is another, you know, this is the sequel to D'Amato's first one, and he did another one. And then I see directed by Peter Newton. And I'm like, is this the right movie? Like, yeah, what, no. what's going on? I was like, I, I knew it was D'Amato, and I'm like, I've never heard that name before because he uses, like, multiple names for different films. Especially if it's in America. If he was releasing it here, he'll change his name. So it gets, like, a lot of those Italian directors did that. They, they It's either, like, it's either them because they wanted it to be feel more... Um, like um, loyal to the American market. Oh yeah, because if they saw, if 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 an American saw a lot of weird names that they couldn't present or pronounce, um, they would automatically blow it off, even if they thought the film looked interesting. Right. You know, because that's kind of what we do. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Stubborn, ignorant Americans. Um. Mm-hmm. So yeah, when you saw it, I was like, I was like, wait, this is the motto. And like when you when the film starts, you're like, yeah, it's the motto. It's definitely like <laughs> yeah. the way that the way this film opens up is like, yeah, it's definitely got to be a the motto film. Oh, yeah. And it's another film written and, written and produced with uh, the help of George Eastman. Uh, Eastman is the main villain of the film, who's named Nikos Stepolis. Um, another name that I think he's actually referenced in this film by somebody with the name Nikos. Oh, yeah. Yeah, quite a lot, actually. Um, yeah. Especially oh. by the priest, the guy that's uh, chasing him. Yeah, Edmund at the beginning. Oh. <laughs> per- yeah, Edmund Perdome, who... Um, right. Who's in like? Oh God, he's in a lot of friggin' great Italian movies. I know uh, I've seen him a million places, and, and it's not like I can actually name any of them. But you know, you've seen this guy before, like everywhere, and yeah, a ton of obscure, obscure stuff. The best thing, the, the one of the best films he's ever in is Pieces. 
Uh, that's where it was. I just saw pieces not long ago, and that's where it had to be. Yeah. yeah. That, that's, uh, that's another film that needs to be talked about, but not right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but he was in like 2019, the fall after the fall of New York, and uh, he's he's mostly a known as an Italian um, kind of one of those another one of these actors that's in a lot of Italian lo-fi you know gore films and stuff like that. But he he does a great you know for what he does he does a great performance in this flick. Oh yeah. And the thing with this film, like I don't know if you got it, if you noticed this or like felt a reference to it, like. It reminds me a lot of like the first Halloween in a weird way. That's exactly what I was thinking. Because you have the priest played by Perdone who is searching down and trying to kill this guy because he, in a way, is kind of the creator of him, I guess you can say. He's mm-hmm. the one who's been locking him up this whole time. Kind of a reference to um, you know Pleasance and Michael Myers in that film. The only, <laughs> the only difference between Halloween and this is that the, the Eastman's character really is not killing people because he has like a, a vendetta towards them, like in the in the Myers film, like in Halloween, like right, he's just right. going all out for the fuck of it. Like it's just because like, he's there, yeah. And it's like you're in the way. I want to kill you. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Yeah, yeah. And there, there's a lot more explanation behind why he's the way he is because yeah, oh. it's it's hilarious. I, I think the whole backstory of this, where oh, the, the yeah yeah the priest talks about he's he's he serves the Lord. Uh, by being a biochemist or, or something yeah. like that, it's really weird. Yeah, he's and then he's chemically altered his DNA, um, where he well, this character Nikos that Meeson plays. Um, when we see him introduced, he's running away from uh, Perdone's character. You don't know why, and he's trying to get into this house as hardcore as possible. He's, he's trying to get into the door, and he just finally decides to climb over it. But he doesn't make it very well because um, the next scene we see is this mother, this mother and her little son are sitting in the bathroom, and all of a sudden he comes in, he's gored. He's been pretty much sliced, like, straight through the gut by the top of their uh, their gate because yes. he's got these nice big spikes on the top of it. And he falls down dead. And, you know, we get the introductions and whatnot. And, you know, and then when we get reintroduced, Nikos, they go to the doctor, and the doctor's trying to check him out. It says he's dead, but for some odd reason, they check his wounds, and they're all gone. Mm-hmm. He, and the doctors don't understand why. Like, they're all completely healed, both sides, everything. And they decide to kind of do a, like a, they do like an, like going to do an autopsy on him, but they're, they're going to wait because they want to find out what's going on. Yeah, they're and, kind of observing him there for a while at the hospital, kind of keeping him, you know, keeping they, him drugged up. Yeah, because they can't believe that this guy somehow survived that. And now the wounds are not even there. Like, there's not even any scars, any, nothing. Right, right. And going back to that scene where he's impaled on on the gate and then uh, comes into the house, mm-hmm. that is a direct reference to the first movie, to Anthropophagus, yeah. because what we see at the end, you know, with Eastman with his guts all hanging out of his belly, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what we see at the beginning of this one. And even though both movies, I mean, these are unrelated, no, you know, yeah. one does not lead into the next, has nothing to do with the other. But you see, like, all these references that uh, I, I really appreciate, and I think they definitely did this on purpose. Oh yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and Ethan was writing the script. I think he oh, was. Yeah. He just pretty much took the character and just modified it to what he felt because it's it's pretty much George. It's George Eastman as normal. So it's this normal, very rugged looking Italian man that he that Eastman was with the beard and the long black hair, um, and he has like nothing. There's nothing changed to him. The only difference is between the Anthropophagus character and him 
is that he doesn't blink. He's a, he's just a he's got this dead stare, mm-hmm. just like in the and with Anthropophagus, he has this dead stare. Doesn't he doesn't blink? He doesn't look at his friggin'. He's just staring straight ahead, and there's nothing to it. That's it. Like that's the only different. That's the only main like, you know, setup for it. And like we're in another weird small town. Like even mm-hmm. though the town seems, even though the town seems like there's more than things. There's like, I don't know. Maybe the hospital may be a hundred miles away <laughs> yeah. from like where our main like problems happen. But like where the main house is, where where Nico's t- does most of his crap. And the house where the parents are ending up is pretty much like I don't know a walk away. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they absolutely. Can see the, they can see the lights from outside the front door practically. Uh, yeah, yes, yeah, uh, it's, it's it's small town USA, and I, I love the Halloween reference that you gave because I, I completely agree with that. It's it's just D'Amato's take on Halloween, and and he's he's modifying it in a very weird weird way. <laughs> yeah, you know, and um, he's he's in the hospital. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you were talking about, and he's in there kind of under observation, and the priest shows up because uh, he he's found by the cops somehow and taken to the hospital, and everything's linked and whatever. And and uh, Nikos wakes up, <laughs> and he sees the priest outside the door, and he starts freaking out, freaking out, freaking out. He to see this guy, and they just put more drugs in his arm. You know, they they start injecting him. They knock him out again. And so the cops keep questioning things or like, what's going on here? And you don't find out much. And um, eventually this all leads to Nikos waking up whenever there's only a nurse in the room with him. And we get the first kill. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the little handsaw. The little, oh, my God. The drill. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. yeah. <laughs> because he just he, he gets up. And uh, the bandages fall right off of him, you know, yeah. and, and he's he's in pretty good shape at that point. And uh-huh. uh, he picks up a surgical drill and uh, headlocks the nurse and, and just drills into her temple and it comes out the other side. And we see it. We see yeah. it up close. Yeah, they, they the cutting on that scene is awesome. Just the, the yeah, editing yeah. on that scene is awesome. Make it look as clean as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like uh, City of the Living Dead, we were just talking about, has got a great scene that's similar to that. Right. It's right. a bigger drill, but it's very similar to that to that scene to the scene. Uh, and it's just the way it's edited together, the way it just to make it look, you know, you but you can tell if you're you're paying attention, you can tell where the edits are. You can see where it's it's human head, um, you know, the the fake, then back to the human fake, back to the human, and it but it looks really good. I mean, like if you watch enough of these films, you can tell where the breaks are. You can tell where it's not the real person. It's either like a wax mold. It's painted very similar to their fate, to their features or, you know, a lot of times they use like a pig carcass or something, you know, try to get the right skin texture and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, But oh, it's it's just awesome because he's just on. Like he just (laughs) once he once he comes back out of into consciousness, he's back on and he's just going right to town and he just starts taking people out in the in the hospital. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And while we have this, while he's in the hospital kind of causing havoc, the cops have brought uh, Perdone's character and the priest and are asking, okay, why are you here? Why are you chasing this guy? Why did he jump on the fence? Like, asking him all these questions, like, why the hell is he trying to get away from you? Why does he freak out when he sees you? And he goes, well, you know, I'm a chemist for the Lord. And um, <laughs> what we did with this guy is we, we messed with his DNA, so his blood like uh, clots very fast. Right. Um, and... It's able to regurgitate him. But the problem with that and like heal his wounds, so he's unstoppable. But the problem with that is that his brain is being deteriorated as it happens. 
So yes. he's slowly going back into like the only primal thing that he has left, which is this primal urge to kill, you know? And so I have to stop him. Like we had him tied down and we had him taken care of, but he cut loose. And now I have to kill him before he kills anybody else. And how do they refer? They say they have to kill the brain. Yeah, it has to be the brain. Because there's something in the brain that's killing, like his, like it's destroying his brain, but it's in his brain that has to be destroyed. So his head has to, he has either his head has to be severed or his brain has to be destroyed in some way. He, you can't shoot him in the face. You can't shoot him in the body. You can't cut him anywhere because he'll just regurgitate and he'll keep coming. And what's hilarious, one of the actually there are a lot of things that are kind of funny about this, but one yeah. of the things is they I think they say brain maybe once or twice during mm-hmm. the movie, but the whole rest of the time they refer to it as the cerebral mass. And the, the people just kind of take it as, oh, the cerebral oh. mass. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you shoot him in the cerebral mass. Right. <laughs> and, and the, like, except for maybe, like, one cop in this town, everybody else is a bunch of fucking morons. Like, exactly. Like, right. Uh-huh. Sure, Doc. Sure, sure Mr. Priest. Sure. <laughs> and they're just driving around. Like, and it, like I said, it's very reminiscent also of, like, I don't know if Halloween 2 was out by this time. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very reminiscent of that, too, because you have the priest sitting in the back of this cop car while they're driving around aimlessly looking for him after he's escaped from the hospital. You know, and he's caused enough damage in the hospital. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, he wipes out a handful of people in the hospital. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he's able to escape. And for some strange reason, he's just roaming around. Like, and he, the next thing he finds is that, uh, that janitor or whoever he is, uh, the guy kind of mopping up the floor. Yeah, he kills the janitor and he kills... With the bandsaw, which is a yeah. great scene. Yeah. Oh, he, he just, uh and, like, when he gets out of the hospital, he kills a random motorcyclist for no apparent reason. He's just on the road. Like, and like that, yeah, I don't, like that scene is probably one of the things I, rem- I remember the most. Because he's just walking down the street, right? And he's, he's not, he's just walking. And the guy's trying to hide from him. Actually, the guy decides to, like, kind of stop what he's doing. Yeah. And something, like, falls or just something makes a little bit of a sound. And he turns his head right at him. And he's like... Oh, yeah, this is it. And, like, it just goes right for him. You're going to die. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're dead right now. I don't care who you are. <laughs> and, like, he gets hit by a car at one point when he's walking down the street by, like, the father of the, uh, the house that we saw earlier because he was trying to – he's rushing home to get home. Yeah. He's got this – and the father's got this on his conscience the rest of the night. Right. Oh, he killed this man, blah, 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 blah. But he doesn't tell anybody. I think he does tell his wife later on when they're at the party. At the Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah, they're at the Super Bowl because another <laughs> thing is that this small town – Right. The, the whatever football team the small town is uh, affiliated with is in the Super Bowl. So the whole town is shut down. Well, this is actually a, a, I noticed this personally because it's the Steelers versus the Rams. Oh, I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't paying attention to the TV. Uh, oh, dude. And this is like total uh, 70s thing. You know, it's, uh, you know, the 70s steel curtain. And so, you know, they show a lot of cuts of the TV as they're watching the Super Bowl and a lot of plays. And it's Terry Bradshaw. It's Franco Harris. It's like all these legendary Steel Curtain Steelers names in the Super Bowl, whatever year this was. But the thing I love about this film is that they had there's 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 a scene where this this couple that we're, you know, that we're dealing with that because most of the action happens in their house Mm -hmm. are going to their neighbor's house, which they had to drive to, even though, like I've said, if they look out their back window of the neighbor's house, they practically see the lights of their house. So yeah. it's not like a far walk. No. You know, but they drive to their friend's house and they go watch the game. But the thing is, no one's paying attention to the game. Like, they're just having a party. No one's really, like, they're all bullshitting and hanging out. The TV's on in the, in the living room and they're all eating dinner. 
Yeah, and, they're drinking and yeah, just like, doing whatever. Eh. Yeah, you know, and it's like even the family that's like our main victims in this thing, they're not even watching the game. They're not even paying attention. It's got like the nurse and the babysitter and the annoying young son and the mm-hmm. cripple. And this, I don't know. I forget what she had, what the daughter had. There's something with her spine. She couldn't, she spinal, couldn't move. Yeah. Like she was recovering from something that she was not allowed to move. So she should kind of lock down in her bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and she wasn't supposed to move. Um, but as we see later, you know, she, she moves she okay. <laughs> she really has no choice. She has to get out of there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because we see, and the Halloween parallels just build up from here because um, we have a babysitter yeah. situation mm-hmm. at this house because, like you said, the parents went away to their friends to see the Super Bowl and they leave the kids with the babysitter. And the babysitter doesn't show up right away, so it's like some friend of theirs that is kind of watching the kids until the babysitter I think gets that's there. the nurse. I think that's the, that's what she is. I think she's the nurse that's taking care of the daughter. Ah, uh, okay. Remember, because she has to get back to the hospital. Ah, uh, you know, uh, yeah. She's delaying getting back to the hospital while waiting for the babysitter to finally show up. Right. Right. And, like, <laughs> it's just because it's, it's not slow, actually, because this, compared to Anthropophagus, this film moves at a very quick clip. You yeah. Because it, it doesn't really hold back. Like, you get that introduction of what the character is, and, you know, and, like, it's just, like, the story itself, like, the character is, just, you know, is gleefully explained by the priest, like, oh, this is what's going on. This is what we have to do. And then you got the cops just kind of shaking their head, like, uh-huh, sure. Okay, we'll do that, right? <laughs> I don't know who you are, but okay, fine, we'll do that. <laughs> you know, and they kind of go along with it, and they're hunting this guy down, um, and he's just making a mess. Like, he's just killing anybody indiscriminately. He doesn't care. He kills them in you know, very vicious ways. Like, there's a scene. I don't remember if it's a girl, if it's the babysitter or the nurse. She gets her head shoved in a, in a lit oven at one point that's a great great sequence because the way they made it uh, yeah. they kept cutting back and forth to like the scene of him shoving her in the oven and yeah, then they cut to something else and then they cut back and like her skin is a little bit redder yeah, you know yeah. and it's charred and then and a, a point later on it's peeling yeah. you know so they do a good job of that and uh yeah. and it's, it's not like, it's not like he just puts her head in there and kind of he's holding he's pretty much holding her whole body in the oven oh yeah and, you know, puts it on full blast and just holds it. As she's, you know, she's flailing, she's trying to pull herself out, and he's just holding there, just not even doing anything. I'm just freaking pissed, holding her in the oven. And then she finally gives up, and it's a, you know, there's, you know, he have you have her like retaliating, all burned up, like her face is completely, you know, third degree burns and stuff like that. And and she's attacking him with scissors, and and he just he doesn't stop. Like like right, he right. must get stabbed like three or four times in this film. But it doesn't really stop him at all. He just continues to go. He doesn't care. That's that's right. His his expressions, man, are, they don't change. It's not like he cringes. It's not like he it, anything nope. like that. He's he's unblinking, like you said. And I, I never noticed that he he never blinks until you said that. Yeah. But he is like it's like shark eyes. You know what I mean? It's like pure evil mm-hmm. in those eyes, and uh, just the way he's he's just pure, uh, just pure murder. Right, yeah. And he he goes for it, and yeah, he he ends up uh, killing her off with the with the scissors oh, uh, into the throat, I believe. And um, and the difference though is that in this movie he's not like a cannibal, so he doesn't really eat. 
You know, he doesn't bite them. He's out to murder. He's just out to kill people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's all. Like, because of this whole thing that stuck, like, whatever the hell they did that's slowly, like, turning him into this, that's turned him into this monster. Um, Like, it's, it's just, like, the the whole idea of what happened, like, what they did to him is just like, uh, okay. You (laughs) know that, like, George Eastman had no idea, like, what kind of, what, you know, what the chemical of the brain or any kind of chemistry or anything like that. He just kind of made it up. And it sounds good. It's not, when, you, when you hear Pardon saying it, it sounds interesting. You're like, oh, okay. That, that could work, I guess. Yeah, well, the guy was a priest, too. So there's the whole, you know, maybe religious side to it that kind of leaves, leaves it open to really anything. You know, it, it, bio, when you mix biochemistry and religion and that whole thing, you know, like yeah. we saw, I don't know if you saw like Rec and Rec 2. But yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's the kind of thing they mixed into into that too. Right. And so you can explain away so many things and leave so many questions unanswered because you're like, well, it was it was some sort of demonic thing and some kind of biochemistry thing and it just went haywire. And here's what we have. You know? So yeah. and that's that's what it is here too. Um and he's just going crazier and crazier like you said it's eating away at his brain. He he's just killing everything. And um, it ends up he gets into the room where this girl, she's been bedridden (laughs) and uh, she's strapped down to this table and she has to, I I guess, like I said, it's a spinal thing, so she can't move, strapped into this. And he gets into the room and and, uh, she ends up freeing herself Mm -hmm. and uh, is moving about. And I think she played that part really well. Oh, yeah. um, yeah. Of uh, having to move even though she was very weak. Um, yeah, because she really didn't do anything that made me question that, you know, because she was in that state where, I mean, if you haven't walked for a long period of time, your your muscles are going to degenerate. You're going to get really weak. And uh, they I think they play that really well because she's literally kind of like sliding herself up against the walls and, and just moving really slow as uh, as he's chasing her. But she does a really brilliant thing. She turns up the stereo as loud as she can. Um, after she blinds him because he comes into the room and she has this compass. And I just have to ask, like, what the hell is up with these uh, these circles that she yeah. was drawing? I don't know. I have no idea. Like, I don't know why they kept her occupied by, like, by giving her a gyroscope. I don't, I don't get that at <laughs> yeah. all. Um, like, the other thing with this is, like, I love the little brother. Like, Oh, yeah. Like, one thing we haven't mentioned is the little brother. He's just, you know, he's a pain in the ass little brother like most fucking films. But he's smart as shit. He's the only one who seems to get away from him fast enough. He jumps through windows. He's running around the yard, like, jumping in and out of windows. Like, you know, he's the one who kind of sets up the room for the the sister, like, pushes things in front of the, the door so he can't get in. Um, you know, it, you know, the, the Nikos kind of runs after him and kind of loses him because he just dives out windows. I don't even know if he, these are on, like, first or second floors because they never really tell you. Right. But he's just diving out of things, jumping back in the windows, pretty much causing, you know, he's the smartest one out of everybody, including the Keystone cops that are uh, running around the priest. Uh, <laughs> no. The other thing is, like, the one, another thing is, like, the mother. The mother in this, she's a bitch. Like, yeah. Like, and she's just, she doesn't care. All she wants to do is get to the party. Like, you know, she doesn't even care that the father's, like, he's worried shitless. Because he thinks he killed somebody on the road, and like he even tells her at the party, and he's she's like, you know, oh really? And like kind of goes back to doing her thing, and like you're like, oh my god, what a bitch! Like you really want her to die, but you know nothing's gonna happen to her because she'll she'll only show up at the house at the very end. Oh yeah. And 
you know, you get it's just I don't know. I like I like I like how the daughter, even though she's stuck in the room and she starts getting attacked by him, she's able to unstrap like she's got leg straps, arm straps. She's pretty much strapped to this bed. Oh yeah. I don't know what kind of like disease she's supposed to have. Um, because like, I never heard of any kind of recovery. Okay. Well, you know, okay. We did some kind of spinal work on you and, um, you got to recover by being strapped to your bed all day and night. Like, even if you have to shit, there's a hole in the bed. Like we're not <laughs> loose. And, and like when she does get up, she's got a little bit of like a, you know, fatigue at the first start before she gets like out of that room. But after that, she's kind of moving pretty much normal, you know? Uh, yeah. Even, She's strong enough to carry a like a big old, a big old cleaver like near the end of the flick. That's true. I mean, she does. Uh, there, there happens to be a suit of armor yeah. uh, in the house that gets knocked over in the scuffle of everything. Right. And towards the end, she she finds the axe that the the suit of armor had, or and shot. and she she stabs repeatedly, which I think is great because I think a lot of filmmakers would be uh, tempted. To have one mighty swipe of the blade and the head would go rolling, but she chops at his neck. Like, oh my! God. Like how many times? Over yeah, and over again. She's getting covered with blood. Yeah, like the. It's just. It's an awesome like that final shot when they end the film, when the parents have finally showed up. Yeah, we'll give it away. I mean, we gave away the last film. It's no big freaking deal. Yeah, you have to you have to go out and hunt these down. You can get them. You know. There are DVD releases out in the States, so you can't say you can't find them. And they're pretty cheap. They're between $15 and $20. It's not I, like you pay a lot of money for Well, them. I got the first one for under 10 bucks on eBay. Okay. Look on eBay, because you can get them okay. cheap on there. The, both of these I got under $10 oh, that's on great. eBay. So, yeah, free shipping and, and everything. So awesome. they're not hard to get. But, yeah, so they, they foreshadow this. They actually foreshadow that suit armor like three times before he shows up. Mm-hmm. He, D'Amato keeps kind of referencing it in the shots. Like, he'll kind of stay on it as the shot starts. And when there's a fight with between Nikos and, and either the nurse or the babysitter, because I, I don't even think he gets, I think he kills the babysitter before she even gets to the house. Um, oh, take, yeah, yeah, because he's still outside and he takes the, that uh, pickaxe to her head. Yes, yes, he kill, yeah, he gets there before, the, before she gets in the house. And as he's scuffling with the nurse, out after, after he's burned her face pretty much off, the, the axe on the, on the uh, suit of armor falls. And then, you know, as he's he's trying to kill the brother, I'm, the, the, the daughter, who's the weakest of them all, grabs his axe and pretty much hacks at his neck like 12 or 14 times. Oh, yeah. And you get this great scene when the, the priest is there, the cops are there, their parents have finally showed up, and they're all <laughs> about to walk into the place because they hear all this commotion, and the, you know, the fragile daughter comes out with his head in her hand. And you're just like, and it just stops. That's where it sh- the shot ends. It's just her standing there, covered head to toe in blood, and with the with the with his hand with his head in her hands. And you're like, <laughs> and just credits roll. And you're like, whoa! That's- she is so proud at yeah. that moment too. It's so weird, and it's a brilliant way to, to end the movie. Yeah, oh. it's, she's ex- like, she's not like horrified what she did. She was. She's happy for what she did. Like, she's really ecstatic about getting rid of this fuck. Yeah, look what I just did. Hey, yeah. you know. <laughs> I, think, I think I'm cured. Look what happened. <laughs> yeah, obviously. she's. This has been the best rehab that she's had in a long time, you know, doing this. No crap. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm astounded. I watch a movie like this, and it has quite a cult following. 
Yeah. Um, a lot of people are, are into this. Are you surprised that uh, somebody hasn't made a sequel to this? I mean, there's obviously a sequel to be had. You know, if you if you read into this and, you, you know, you could you could make a sequel out of this, just as we saw a billion sequels out of Halloween. Yeah. You know, I, I, are you surprised something wasn't made out of this? A prequel or something, just to kind of go back on the, like, what happened in the, the monastery or the church where uh, Perdone's character and him were before they ended up in this small town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would have been interesting. Because, yeah. I mean, they could have retconned it and said that he survived somehow. You know, like the head accident, you know, mysteriously connected back in the body in the morgue, you know, they could have done anything. It's weird that he didn't, I don't know how well this film did when it did come out, but it probably did make good money for D'Amato. But, like, D'Amato was, I don't know, he, he jumped on this film because, because of the popularity of Anthropophagus. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and a lot of, you know, everybody says no, it's not a sequel, but I mean, like, there are similarities to it. You know, the character is pretty much very similar to the character in Anthropophagus. You know, instead of being a cannibal, you know, a mad, you know, bloodthirsty cannibal, he's just a mad, bloodthirsty monster. You know, just wants to kill people. It's the same character. It's the same actor. It was written by the same guy. You know, it's pretty much, you know, we're going to jump while the, you know, while the getting's good and make a film exactly within a year. They probably made them back to back. Probably, yeah. Because yeah. Eastman's look is pretty much the same. Well, that's you know? what it's it's a it's a sequel, not in plot, not yeah. in story by any means. But it's a it's a sequel in you know, right. hey, what what's George Eastman doing now? You know, yeah. what, what what does he do next? Because it, he just made another movie with D'Amato and <laughs> his whole crew. I mean, this whole group of people they're getting together and making a movie again. And uh, let's see where it is. And it's it's kind of it reminds me nowadays of uh almost like Rob Zombie and what yeah. he's doing, you know, with in between House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects. Mm-hmm. Um where they kind of are sequels. You know, you know, one yes. is the sequel to another, but you know, it's him, he's getting together all the same actors again, all the same people that made the first movie and he's making another one. And so I'm it, it it's kind of along those lines. And you don't have to follow the first storyline whatsoever but you're just interested in seeing where these characters or these actors even are are going next under the same director and under the same group of people that made the first one you know what i mean yeah no i i I agree with you it's 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 like that like a lot of things like um i don't know if you've ever you've ever watched any of andy mulligan's films um who was this kind of really bad cult director in the 60s and 70s but he he was kind of one of these guys who took the same group of people the same actors and did pretty much the same films back to back just kind of changed the period and just sold it as a, as a different film, like a different title and stuff like that. And people were like, Oh, what the fuck? You know, but he, he was able to get a, you know, a decent following out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the thing with like the model, the model, like, you know, I think he was more interested in doing the more, the raunchier expose stuff. Cause I don't think he did many, he didn't direct many horror films, like straight up horror films. Like most of yeah. it was kind of a mix of like, you know, light, or even hardcore pornography, you know, the Emmanuel films and stuff right. like that. Um, so, you know, he mixed it up like with Porno Holocaust, which is a great fucking mix of, you know, hard <laughs> porno and horror movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know why they, they could have jumped on something else. It would have been fun to see George Eastman try to do another film, kind of basing it around the same character almost, do, just as a prequel. I would have loved to seen what was going on in the, in the uh, you know, in the church 
where they were before they started they started this big chase. I would have loved to see what was happening there. Like I would have loved to see him try to explain all that. Oh yeah, and just to see George Eastman doing anything else. I mean, he made a lot of porn with D'Amato and everything, and and you know whatever. But uh-huh. you, earlier when we were talking about the first movie, you know, you're talking about his look, and he has very strong Italian features. You know, I mean, he's a he's a very unique looking guy and a very strong looking guy. He has a lot of presence. Yeah. You know, just by standing there and looking at you, he has a lot of presence. So I'm almost wondering, you know, could he have made more money and uh, had more popularity and, and whatever by uh, exploiting just his presence and look and maybe more mainstream, or not even mainstream, but more, I guess, socially acceptable roles, you know, other than the porn roles that he did a lot could he have done more and maybe gotten ahead a little bit more? You know what I mean? Yeah, I get you. I get you. Yeah. I don't, I don't know, but cause he was one of these, you know, he was an Italian actor. I don't, you know, a lot of people back then probably didn't really, you know, they used him for what he was. He was a heavy, you know, he was the bad guy. He was like mm-hmm. a, you know, a, if you needed somebody in the background to look tough, he was the guy you put in there. You know, and D'Amato used him a lot because D'Amato knew he would work. You know, he, he was a friend of D'Amato's and he constantly, if you look at his, you know, his IMDb list, a lot of the films that, that he was in were either produced by D'Amato or directed by D'Amato in some way. And, you know, and then there's, you know, there's a handful of films where he's kind of like, what is it? Um, I'm trying to think. He's in like even like Michael Slavi's films, like, uh. Stage fright. I think he's referenced. I think he's got a small bit in that film, hmm. but that was produced by D'Amato. Like so, it's like, yeah, you know, even though that's the thing. Like he kind of constantly did that stuff. He didn't like. He just wanted to work. It was like any kind of Italian Italian direct, uh, actor. They yeah. wanted to work. They wanted to be in films. If they, if, you know, so they were, you know, wherever you wanted to put me. You know, if you talk about like we're talking about porno Holocaust and stuff like that, it was made within the same year as this film and. Absurd in um, Anthropophagus mm-hmm. came out. I think pretty much within the like within a year, you know. So you know, like he was in 90, 1999, The Bronx Warriors, which is a great film that happened two years, like I think in eighty two. Um, you know, like he he's in a lot of interesting films. It's just you got to like hunt through them. You got to kind of go through it. Like in a lot of the films, you can't really get because like it's either you know they're under different titles or you know they're not on because that's the thing with. With a lot of Italian film was that they reissued them here like multiple times, you know. Yeah. Especially in the VD, in the VHS boom, like like we were saying, like Anthropophagus goes under like five or six titles. I think it's even known as like it's called, known as Monster Hunter or even Zombie Eight Monster Hunter. Um, it's known as Absurd. It's known as uh, Anthropophagus Two, The Grim Reaper Two. It's known as Horrible, um, and like Anthropophagus is known as like Zombie Six. You know, or zombies like five, you know. Actually, what's hilarious, I was reading about this. Anthropophagus, the first movie, right. um, was titled Zombie 7 at one That's, point. Okay. But part two, absurd, horrible, whatever, Anthropophagus 2 was Zombie 6. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what the hell? Yeah. Well- I guess in a reference to kind of make it a prequel to Anthropophagus. See if you're, in, yeah. if you're not paying attention to the film, you can probably you can kind of reference them both that way in a, in a weird way, even though the characters do both die at the end. Of- uh, yeah, yeah, and and 
you just kind of have to ignore like the other half dozen movies that are called Zombie Six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, really. I mean, it, it's hilarious if you do, if you seriously try and sit down and figure this out. Yeah, it's insanity. You know, it, it doesn't make any kind of sense whatsoever. And it was a lot of cash ins and a lot of strategic naming mm-hmm. of movies at points in time. Yeah, that got it certain places, and and it's. Yeah, it's entertainment in and of itself. But yeah. uh, so my question for you, oh, no, actually, before I bring this up, uh, one more reference to the Halloween thing we we're talking about. All right. Because did you notice that all throughout this movie, they were referencing the boogeyman? Well, like, uh, yeah, yeah. The little kid would always talk about the boogeyman's here. The boogeyman. I just saw the boogeyman. He's going to eat me. You know, and and is that not what we see in Halloween? Throughout. Yeah, the, the two kids, the kids, the kid that's being bugged by the, by his friends and right. stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, that's what. Well, that's the only thing when I first. Well, actually, when I first saw this film, when I picked this up, uh, when that introduction, when that when he see him running down the street, being chased by the priest, you're like, okay, that kind of it does feel very. It smacks very similar of Pleasance, you know, maddenly running through the streets of Haddonfield with a gun, searching for a. Uh, for uh, freaking Michael Myers, you know, it does remind me of that. Mm-hmm. It's just that, you know, Myers was one of those characters to kind of hid in the darkness. Yeah. And, you know, you had this mad ball, you had this mad, crazy Englishman running through the street <laughs> with a handgun shooting anybody who looks somewhat similar to him, uh, especially, especially in number two. He, he's much more manic in number two. Okay. But you got, you have the main villain being chased by this small ass priest. I mean, Edward Perdome is this tiny dude. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What the hell is he? Why are you running away from him? I mean, you can kill him. Yeah. You know, if you Eastman's like this six-two guy, he's like probably like, you know, one hundred ninety-five, two hundred pounds. You know, big, scary-looking dude. You know, you just do not want to see him in a dark alley, like, by yourself. You know, you're gonna get teared limb from limb. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, that's the automatic. And then as you watch the, as I was watching, I was like, yeah, the the little brother's is pain in the ass. He's constantly being a jerk to everybody. Um, he constantly references to the sister that there's a boogeyman out there that they're going to get us when mommy and daddy leave, you know? And yeah, and when the guy does show up, he's the only one who's like, all right, I got to split. <laughs> yeah. I'm, 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 I, I see the weird dude walking around the house. I'm, I'm gone, you know? <laughs> and like the, vi- the violence in this film, I like a little more. Like, I, I love Halloween. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of those films that I'll watch once a year, you know, no matter what. Right. But it's... But this film, like with that film, it's very the, the violence is is just as it is because they wanted to get it into a theater. They have very low budget, you know, and that's the difference between the American, like the American, uh, or, like not even American, artists, but the American director with a low budget. You know, they try to keep the, the violence low so they can get into theaters. Like this film, it's a low budget. You can you can tell automatically it's a low budget. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, but the money that they do have, they put right into the effects. Yes. Like, the music in this film is a little better than Anthropophagus. It's actually, you can tell that the guy who's scoring this film knew when to be, you know, when to do serious pieces and when to do kind of lighthearted pieces, except of like the exact opposite in Anthropophagus, where it's just like we just threw, we just threw random music in there. Yeah. You know, but they, but they, they put it down to like, okay, we need to make this look like the pickaxe scene. We need to make this look as realistic as possible. 
um, the scene where the nurse is getting burned alive in the in the oven. We need to make this look as possible, as real as possible. The the scene at the end with the with the girl slamming the axe. Like we don't see her cut the head off, but we see his head getting attacked like by this big axe. Mm-hmm. You see the cuts making into her head. Like and when she walks out, what it looks pretty realistic of his own face. Look, that that sculpt. Yes. good. You know, and like the random vine, like the, like we said, like the scene with the drill. And the bandsaw are pretty friggin' realistic. I mean, they're over the top, but yeah. they look like the way it's edited. It looks just perfect. Yeah, you cringe during yeah. those scenes. Yeah, and it's like that's a th- like I don't know. I just love it. Yeah, and that's something um, that I really focused on, and I think really um, came to the forefront for me whenever I was watching the extras on uh, Zombie Two. You know, I got the 25th anniversary edition of Zombie 2 and, you know, the extra disc of all the interviews and everything. And everybody who was involved in uh, the the effects department, you know, De Rossi and everybody who worked with him, they all said, we love what we do. We see as what we do as a craft and we take pride in it and we take it very personally. And so whenever we make a scene that is, is supposed to look a certain way, we put everything into this. We put our heart and soul into this, and we are craftsmen at it. And I see that in this, and even you know, even Anthropophagus, the first movie, right. um, where the Italian effects people took pride in what they did, and they really worked hard in uh, in the effects department to get it right, because that's what these movies are banking on. It's these horrendous scenes of gore and violence and and things. And uh, so I can really appreciate that. And I respect that because that's not necessarily something that we see in a lot of films. And uh, so, but no, that's that's dead on, man. You, you, all the violence in this movie really just, uh, it, hit its, it hits home. It's, it's yeah. wow. It's, it kicks ass. It's, yeah. It's, oh, yeah. And that's that's another thing. Like when when I was younger, getting into this stuff, that's all I was looking for was just as much violence as I could find in Italian horror. And now, as like a thirty year old man, I actually can rewatch these films, enjoy the violence for what they are, and actually kind of sit there and look at it like as it as a decent film. A lot of people who are fans of the horror genre look at the the Italians and go, "Yeah, they were good at certain things." And it's like if you really pay attention to the films, ninety percent of the films. I mean, there's a good glut of Italian films that are crap. You know, they're just out there to make a buck. Yeah. You know, badly edited. They're badly put together. The effects are kind of slot. Or even even the fact that they even take scenes from other films and just reincorporate them into their own films. You know, but then there are films like this, even though, like, D'Amato is known to be a, sh- a huckster and, a, you know, strictly out for money. But he knew what his audience liked. You know, yes. you sit down, you watch the film, and you can enjoy... You know, I mean, it's absurd, just like the title. It's a completely <laughs> absurd idea that the the Catholic priest, the, the Catholic, you know, any they would have any kind of, you know, thing of setting up, making a man into like this bloodthirsty beast. That the only way you can kill him is if you destroy his skull. You know, <laughs> it's just out. It's, it's outlandish. Oh, yeah. It, you look at the titles for this movie and it just cracks me up because it's absurd. It's horrible. It's terrible. Know, all, all these, and that's exactly what they thought making this film. That's like the mindset of this. I mean, they're making it for 
the horrific effect of it, but at the same time, they're like, this is pretty ridiculous. Like, we know exactly what we're doing here. You know, it's it's we're not taking this completely seriously. I mean, did you did you think that D'Amato and Eastman and everyone were sitting back and like taking this very seriously what they were doing? Uh, I think they were having fun with no, this I movie. Think, yeah, I think it was pretty much all out there. Like, this is fun. Let's just let's just go do it and get it done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, looking at Anthropophagus, Anthropophagus Part Two. Which one do you prefer? Do you do you rate this one above the first one, or is it just too different to make the comparison? Or what do you think? Well, I I mean, because there are they are two different films. You know, to be honest, it's just that the fact that Eastman is the main character and he looks pretty much just slightly different in both films. But I I can as two different films, they're pretty much in the same league with you know with each other they're about you know an eight and a half to a nine both of them like i said mm-hmm. so i but as like a if it would if i consider it a sequel i'd i like this one a lot more because this one just goes for the throat automatically it just starts out instantaneously you have that you know you have him running through the streets getting impaled by the spikes on the on the on the uh as he's climbing up and it just doesn't stop unlike like anthropophagus which is like you have that interesting introduction with the two, the couple getting killed, and then it's very like a lot of people would just freak out because how slow it is. Mm-hmm. Like that whole rest of it, where they're just roaming around the town trying to find things, and they're like, "Oh, there's nobody here," uh, you know. And it's just like, "Oh my god, we're not going to get anything for like you know." And you get the little shocks, like the head in the bucket and the wife being dragged off. But I mean, after that, they're pretty much hunting down this woman the whole rest of the time. And you're like, and if it's just like if you're not into it. Just if you if you get kind of bored out, if you're just like, oh, that first scene sucked. You're just gonna fucking hate that movie the rest of the time. Like when I first when I first watched it, I was like, okay, this is kind of like because I already knew what I was in for because yeah. I the scene. So I was like, all right, I just want to wait. I'm gonna wait for it. And like I've watched it, you know, multiple times after. I kind of can, can can get into it, and I enjoy it. Like that first time was kind of a slow, like a slog. But I was like, I know, I know what I'm getting. I know where the that there's going to be gold at the end of this mountain, and I'm just going to wait. Mm-hmm. And then the second and third time, I was just like, I can just sit and watch, and I can watch the scene slowly progress, and, and you can understand why the film's slow. Yeah. You know, it's slow because that's, you know, it's kind of lulling you into this kind of, oh, they're just going to go, you know, searching around, and then boom, you know, this person gets like, you know, throat ripped out. Boom, there's a an abortion, you know, master. You know. <laughs> Boom, the guy gets his guts ripped out. And you're like, oh, that's just great. Yeah. You know, but like, I, I don't know. I, I, I like them both very much, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, if I, had to, if I had to give anybody a film, like out of the two, to like, you, you need to check a film out, like automatically, is I'd give them, I'd give them, I'd give them absurd, like, or horrible, whatever it's, yeah. you know. I'd give it horrible first. Mm-hmm. I gotta take this, check it out. Especially if they're fans of like, like, um, freaking, uh, Halloween films. If they're especially the fans of the first two Halloween films, I would definitely say you have to check this out because it's, you know, just the similarities alone. They'll automatically be like, oh, okay. You can, and especially if they're not fans of like Italian films, they'll probably get into it. Yeah. Because it will feel very reminiscent of that. Well, I have a question for you then. Hmm? If, uh, you know, you come back to your place and you're with some of your friends and, you know, you have some beers and everything and you want to have a good time. And yeah. you got two movies sitting on the table. Okay. Say so you got Halloween and you have Absurd. 
And again, just totally having a good time. You're going to have fun. Which one would you put in in maybe a, an audience of people that aren't necessarily horror fans, not necessarily whatever, but, uh, you know, you kind of got kind of got some beers going around. Got So which one do you think would uh, you would put in? Uh, I'd put in at Serb. At Cer- yes. Yes, I, I, I would because the, the way that because I don't know, like a lot of people I know, even if they're not horror fans, they know about Halloween. You know, like I, I, there's right. a good amount of people I know. My brother-in-law, you know, he's not a he's not a horror fan at all. He doesn't care for horror, but he's seen Halloween. You know, he's seen it a handful of times. Like um, last October, there's this group around here in Jersey that um, did a, a midnight screening of Halloween, on, you know, in a 35 millimeter print. And he was jonesing for it to go see it because he hadn't seen it in a long time. And like, I was like, awesome. Like, and I'm like, I, I'm like, I didn't know you were such a horror fan. He's like, no, 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 but that movie's awesome. <laughs> All right. You know, so I'd automatically, you know, throw the film that none of them, I know none of them has ever heard of. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I just throw that on because that film, you don't even need to explain. You can just put it on and people are just going to, you know, as they're still bullshitting and sitting around the couches and kind of just, you know, lounging down, drinking and stuff like that. They're going to get slowly into it, especially when that first when they when he finally wakes up after they've kind of knocked him out and they've realized that this that the the holes in his stomach are gone and he attacks the nurse with the with the drill. Like, you know, once everybody's kind of situated and that film's going and that's like the first 15 minutes. So, like, you got a good 15 minutes where everybody's kind of sitting around and they're like, oh, what's this? And they kind of start paying attention. And then that scene comes on. You either have them hooked or they're like, oh, and they're just (laughs) completely they're getting their coats and they're leaving. You know what I mean? Yep. You know, exactly. Like, the crowd I, the crowd I hang out with would most likely be like, oh, right. You know, they kind of say, all right, this looks fucking weird. Like, definitely something Vaughn put on. So, like, got to <laughs> might as well stay it out and see what goes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I would I would put in this movie before Halloween. Definitely. Um, I think even even personally, if I if I want to sit down and just enjoy something for the night, um, this is a lot more interesting to me. Damn for right. some reason. So, uh, yeah, I give it the same rating that I gave it uh, the first movie, which is a 9 out of 10. Uh, completely different, but uh, still still just as beautiful to watch and uh, as enjoyable. I mean, this is uh, these are movies that they can't make anymore. I mean, if somebody tried to make either one of these movies right now, they couldn't do it. I yeah. mean, do, you, do you think they could? No. No. I mean, like... There are a lot of low-budget directors and you know independent guys who they're putting out interesting shit, but no, there's no way. And like the thing is, the Italian market is completely dried up. They're they're not doing any of this stuff anymore, and it's just and it's like a glut, like of like nowadays with like we have Blu-ray and we have DVD that all these films from the Italian market from the 70s and 80s are getting thrown out on DVD, like for cheap. They're just like yeah, whatever, just get it out there, like because yeah. no, there's a there's an audience, but it's. But it's so like, ugh, like I don't really care. Like a lot of the stuff that they're putting out now is just crap. Well, a lot of it is shot on video, and a lot of the charm of these movies is that it has that film look, has that film grit to it. And you cannot achieve that. And people try and they people say that they can achieve it because of certain techniques that they can do with digital video, but they can't, man. There is nothing like shooting on, you know, like sixteen millimeters. Yeah, I don't. I don't either. That's yeah. weird. Yeah, exactly. Well, dude, it's it's been a lot of fun 
talking about these movies with you tonight. And, uh, I, right. Dude, I, I hope we can do it again. And uh, just, uh, man, I could go on. I could just keep going on tonight. <laughs> just, yeah. Uh, and I know it's been it's been a real fun time. I mean, I've talked about these these films on my show, right. but I like like my show is a one man show, kind of like yours, but you bring in somebody to you know kind of review stuff with you. Yeah. But like that's the thing. Like when you get to sit down with someone who's kind of like minded, like yourself, who enjoys these things, it's a real friggin' blast, you know. And I and I've always, you know, not to not to blow smoke up your ass, but I've always enjoyed what you've been doing as a podcaster. Even though, you know, to be honest, uh, see, I don't even want to say this because I don't want to offend anybody on, you know, there are some guys that you've worked with and some guys that are on this thing that would hate these movies. Yeah. You know? And I'm saying that as true, just as honest, that they would hate these movies. They would put them on first 10 seconds and turn it off. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, this sucks. I don't, I don't want to watch this. You know, and I can understand that. I, it's totally someone else's taste. You, know, you, you definitely, you know, you have to kind of, I don't know. You have to kind of be open to this stuff, but if you're a fan of this kind of weird shit, especially if you're a fan of horror movies and you just want to delve into stuff, you know, just, yeah, it's great to freaking watch these kind of films. Just kind of open your mind to it. You know what I mean? And when somebody talks to it and you kind of like and you listen to them every week, you know, usually you sit there and you go out and you find them, you know, most mm-hmm. of the And that's the thing like that. And with your sh- when you were doing the Midnight Podcast with Root Rot, a lot of the shit you guys talked about I went out and either rented or tried to find. When you were doing the show by yourself, I did it. When you were doing the Midnight Corey show, I did it. When you were doing the Hard Jungle, I even looked. At, even a lot of the stuff you guys were talking about was mainstream stuff that I kind of knew about. But there are some films that you guys were like, oh, that sounds kind of interesting. I never heard of the film, and I checked it out. And then the last show you guys were doing, I was, you know, I was pretty much in line most of the films you guys were talking about, like either yay or nay with uh, some of the with most of the guys in the group. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But like. That's the thing I like about this whole deal, you know? Well, so that, I really appreciate that because that means a lot from you because uh, you have such unique tastes in horror, <laughs> you know? I mean, you, you do, and I, I, I totally I, I respect that because uh, you, you know what you like, and uh, that's, that's really, really cool, man. I, I appreciate that. Those are some very kind words, so... <laughs> Yeah, but Vaughn, man, everybody needs to check out Motion Picture Massacre. Um, it's a show that uh, is absolutely brilliant. It comes from the brain of Vaughn. And as you can tell, as you've been listening to right now, it's very, very good stuff. So, man, let's do this again uh, sometime. And uh, you got to give me a couple movies because I, I brought these up to you. And you have to yeah. maybe throw a couple my way and we'll, uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, we have to do this again. So thank you for your time tonight, man. We went kind of late, but... Uh, no, no you know. big deal. Hey, hey, it's all good. So again, I'll, I'll put up uh, you know links to your show and everything in the show notes, and uh, so hopefully uh, people will check you out, man. So thanks cool. again, man. Thank you, sir. All right, have a good one. <laughs> Bye-bye. Completely absurd. Recuperative powers like that simply don't exist. Oh, yeah, another great episode, another long episode, and I know you guys like the episodes going longer, so I'm going to attempt to keep that going here as much as I can. And actually, (laughs) this episode could have been a lot longer. I had another review uh, to throw in there that you're actually going to hear next week. I I planned on getting it on this week, but the episode was just going so long with what I had already, so I moved that up. Um, But you're going to hear from some more podcasters and some more great guys next week. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm just saving that for you, but it's, it's a good one. It's a good one. 
Uh, so thank you again to Sean Ewart. Check out Right Left Turn Productions. Check out Sacrament. Looks really exciting. And uh, all those links will be up in the show notes. Thank you again to Vaughn, uh, Motion Picture Massacre. I hope you're listening to that podcast. Vaughn, as you can tell, is a fantastic guy. And I hope to speak with him very soon once again. And, uh, of course, go check out Tony Wash's uh, Scotchworthy Productions new uh, uh, project here. I'm sorry I'm stumbling over my words, blah, 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 you know me. Um, but it's called Storm the Storm. Oh, I can't get this right. The Storm. Uh, Roller Derby Gals versus Aliens. Of course, uh, check out the Kickstarter page. The link will be up in the show notes and uh, throw a few bucks his way because this looks fantastic. Fantastic. So let me know what you thought of the episode. You can post uh, comments right on the electric show, the electricchairshow.com website. Um, and also you can uh, post on iTunes and uh, wherever else. Uh, send me an MP3 if you feel so inclined. I'd love to hear from you. So thanks again for listening and join me again next Sunday for another episode of The Electric Chair. Mm-hmm.